0: Hashem, na'aseh Shu Torah, great to be here, back in Miami, Baruch Hashem. I, uh, it's been a while, I think that it's been uh, almost two months since I've been here, Baruch Hashem. So, a lot of great shiurim have, ever, have always been done here, Baruch Hashem. Being back is good. We have uh, the Mishnah in Avot, continuing the same Mishnah we've already had for the last couple of shiurim. We are up to shiur number 102. 102 in the series, 102, 103. Take 102, 102 in the series, but it's the third Mishnah, it's the third Sure, about the same exact Mishnah, which is Heyud Yud Aleph 511, uh, which is the measure for measure, the measure for measure Mishnah, which, as I called it last night, it's the um, it's the uh, Mishnah that's going to eliminate any type of political correctness that you still have left in your system, this Mishnah eliminates it. And the reason why is because most of the political correctness in the world is because we simply don't want to hear anything bad. You know, no one wants to be the bearer of bad news. No one wants to hear the bad news. uh, And when you start telling people that Hashem runs the world uh, with a strong hand sometimes, and bad things that happen to the world actually have a reason, people don't want to hear it. You know, they, they always want to blame some outside factor. They want to blame something else. Happenstance, bad luck, Yet the, uh, the, the non-Jews, the evil people. They, uh, whatever, whatever, they, you know, whatever they want to blame it at, they always want to blame somebody. But Hashem says that there's nothing other than Him. There's nothing other than Him. Meaning, in essence, technically the only thing that exists is Him. And even the creation is part of Him. So to say that there's an outside power that's causing anything in our life, whether it's good or bad fortune, whether it's a cure or a disease, whether it's happiness or sadness, anything that's influencing, uh, to say that anything is other than Hashem is a form of heresy and technically Avodazara, idolatry. Uh, so, this Mishnah specifically is telling us a little bit, not obviously there's a lot more to the details, but a little bit about why punishment comes to the world at large. Not just specific issues to a specific person per se, but general. Why do tsunamis happen? Why do wars happen? Why does a drought happen? A famine? A massive amount of disease? You know, things that are very, very difficult for people to deal with. The most common question today by people that uh, decide they don't want to believe in God, you want to call them atheists, you want to call them uh, reform, you want to call them whatever you want to call them, fools, whatever you want to call them. People that in essence decide that they're going to spend their life uh, going to war with God. The number one question that they have if they're Jewish, and even if they're not Jewish, is If God is so great where was he during the Holocaust so this is a very common question that unfortunately even religious people ask it's not just non-religious people it's not just atheists it's not even just people that don't know anything it's people that are supposed to know they say if God is so good where was he during the Holocaust but this also means that if they ask that kind of question it also means that they haven't learned very much and whatever they learned wasn't enough to give them the answer for something that's technically very, very simple. Because it says it in the Torah, when am yisrael sins, Hashem punishes. So meaning that the question if the question is where was God during the Holocaust, the answer is, what do you mean where was he? He was the one pressing the buttons. To think that Hitler, Mahshimo Benzikho, or all of his evil uh, soldiers and, and, and uh, sergeants and employees and so on had the ability to do something outside of the power of Hashem as a form of heresy. You're not allowed to believe such a thing. So even though we don't want to believe that God also brings bad to the world, the reality is, is that it's the only way to believe in the God of Israel is to believe that he also brings the bad to the world. Because if bad came, the bad that we think is bad, which technically is good in, anyway, but even if we, the things that we view as bad, the Holocaust, the Inquisitions, the pogroms, the uh, Beit Mekdash being destroyed, Egypt, AIDS, uh, cancer, polio, divorces, uh, you know, missionaries, Abu Dzarah, you know, stupid decisions by prime ministers, all these things, if we think for a moment, that someone else brought them, that chash shalom would mean that there's an outside power, out, other than God, there's another God. It's against the notion, the, the, the foundation of monotheism, to believe that any other power brings anything. And that's what people fail to understand. And by people I mean literally everyone. It's Jews, non-Jews, anyone that separates God's powers is a form of idol worshiper. Even if he has a long beard and a hat and everything else. So this Mishnah, before I answer your question, this Mishnah summarizes just seven different things, major things that happen in the world, have happened and unfortunately continue to happen, and a reason for them, according to Hashem. The reason for them. Why they happen. So no one ever has the... uh, excused ever say oh yeah this tsunami that happened yeah it was because of the earthquake no it wasn't because of the earthquake the earthquake was the way that hashem made the tsunami seem natural but the one that made the earthquake is hashem oh the uh, the building uh, exploded uh, was because a plane or a bomb or something hit it no yes that's the way that hashem runs his world where he makes it seem natural that a plane or a bomb or whatever happened in the building Caused it to, to collapse, but in reality, it was a sham. Oh, the, this, the guy had uh, intimate relations with a monkey, and that brought AIDS to the world. It actually says it in the Gemara, it says it in the Torah. Yes, but that's not necessarily the reason why Hashem made that horrible affair between a man and an animal spread into a disease that's killed millions and millions of people around the world for, for the last couple of uh, uh, decades. In a sense, so it's always the source of everything is always a Hashem. And this Mishnah is telling us that if he runs the world and he literally to such an extent that all the biggest things that you would naturally think are an outside power or something that happens on its own or something like that, if he's running them, then obviously he's also running the minor things, the small things. So before we continue, you had a question?
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. I I I read and I've seen in movies that this a percentage of Jews that took part of this of this thing as I mean they, they even work to the Nazis in order to, to bring their, their Jews because at the beginning it was something so secret. And they they even work, they didn't even participate, collaborating with the Nazis, taking it so it is part of the same plan. It is all I mean, it was the, the, the hands of God on this also. Yes, of course. So so, uh,
0: so I actually made uh, a few lectures, three lectures about it. One lecture specifically focuses, It's we actually even cut it into a 45-minute clip because it was like a two-hour lecture, but there's like 45 minutes or so that I talk specifically about the Jewish enemies of the Jews. <laughs> Yivsekhtia. uh, and and some Nazis that were actually Jewish some of them were reformed Jews conservative Jews and some were even uh, on one case in particular was an a former Orthodox Jew that became a Nazi soldier killing Jews so the uh, this is a lecture that I've done I maybe two years ago or so and I'll send it to you if you want it's a uh, it's based on real research there's movies on it there's other many many sources that I provide in the lectures you never could never even imagine such a things would happen, and that we are our own biggest enemy. But that's technically been the case since the beginning of time. We've always been our biggest enemy, and sometimes we come to ourselves as the biggest enemy in the most, uh, you know, f- just unusual way. Where sometimes you would think, okay, they were fighting over money. Okay, so I understand why this guy killed this guy. Oh, they were fighting over a woman. Oh, okay, I understand why this guy killed this guy. But when it came to Russia or Nazi Germany or, you know, all these different horrible things that have happened throughout history, and Jews were part of the plan, you see that some of the prophecies uh, that Hashem said in Parashat Bechukotai and Parashat um, Kitavo, which is that we will serve our enemies. If we don't serve him, we'll serve our enemies. How? By being one of the soldiers that is killing his own brothers. So this is not news for anyone that's learned the details of each parasha and learned it Torah. unfortunately it's politically incorrect in today's society to talk about such things so for the most part most jewish people today do not know of any of this most jewish people today do not know that some of the nazis were actually jewish people most of the jewish people today do not know that jews were the ones that started communism Uh, most Jews today don't know that we've been our own biggest enemy since the beginning of time Hashem uses the Arabs and the Christians and uh, all the other civilizations before them the uh, Turks the Romans the Greeks the Egyptians and so on as Tools to to wake us up and sometimes in a very very painful way, but nonetheless It's all because we are our own biggest enemy so the the book of Malachi actually says some of this in uh, chapter 3 of the book of Malachi, verse 7. says, since the days of your forefathers, this is Hashem talking to the people, since the days of your forefathers you have veered away from my laws and you have not observed them. Meaning, there's always been a bunch of you people that uh, got off the derech, if you will do tshuva, return to me and I will return to you, says Hashem, Master of Legions. But you say, for what should we repent? Like what do we do that we have to do tshuva? Meaning that we have no concept that we're even doing anything wrong. You ask people, you know, by the way, you know to drive on Shabbat, you know to eat this, you know allowed to marry this one, you know, there's rules in the Torah. It's like, what's so bad about it? What's so bad about driving on Shabbat if I could drive the whole week? What's so bad about marrying the non-Jew if I work with them and I hang out with them and I have dinner with them and I have lunch with them and I'm friends with them and my kids go to the same school as them. What's so bad about marrying them too? What's so bad about eating food that doesn't have rabbinical authorization or rabbinical supervision if technically it says this is steak and this is steak and none of us saw the cow being slaughtered so who can prove it? That this guy is kosher cow this guy is not kosher cow? Meaning that the the yetsara convinces us to use something we call rationale or logic to justify sins, and they are justified by human logic, but they're as wrong as can be once we dig that deep down. So that's why, when even when Hashemit Barach comes to the nation, he says, "You've been going against me since your forefathers were already going against me. It's not new. You're not the first one that went off the derech." But all I'm telling you now is do tshuva, do tshuva. And what do they say to him in return? For what? What do we do wrong? What do we do wrong? Why? We posted a thing about uh, people that violate Shabbat and uh, you know, this one guy says, listen, I don't keep Shabbat. I, I need to work on Shabbat. I need to make money and feed my kids. But that doesn't make me any less Jewish than you. Like, they don't see the vast majority of people do not see anything wrong with going against the sham simply because of the ignorance that they have that they don't even know that it's going against the sham i could tell you as i am the same i thought i was the same thing i'm not telling you this as this is what i got after meeting so many people this is who i was most of my life i'm telling you what they think because i was there i was, I was them Okay, he said don't work on Shabbat. Fine, I'm not working. I'm going to the casino instead. He said don't light fire. I'm not lighting fire. I'm just driving my car. He said uh, don't steal. I'm not stealing. Don't murder. I'm not murdering. See, I'm already half a tzaddik. <laughs> Everyone who doesn't murder, who doesn't steal, thinks he's a half a tzaddik or full tzaddik. So, Hashem, Hashem comes to Ami, and says, Do chuvah. They say, for what? And Hashem responds, should a person steal from God as you steal from me? As you say, how have we stolen from you? You don't even know what you did. You don't even know how you sinned. You say, where did I steal? We don't even know what we're doing wrong. So He says, here is one thing. That unfortunately, until today, 2,000 years, 2,500 years after this was written, we're still messing up. What? He says, "By withholding the Marcele and the Tuma offerings, you are cursed with a curse, yet you continue to steal with me. you continue to steal from me the entire nation. Meaning, if you don't give Marcel, you're stealing. It's not all oh, you should do. It. It's a nice thing to do, and you know we like to always say Hashem says you want to test them, you can test them. He actually says it's right. You want to test them, you can test them with maaser. vetit v'titasher. If you give Marcel, you become rich and so on. But bottom bottom line, Hashem is telling you. By the way, you don't give Marcel, you're a thief. Why? I gave you the hundred percent. It's not your money. It's my money, as he says to the Navi. L'ya keser zav ne'u Hashem tzevaot. Minus the money, minus the gold. Hashem, Master of Legion, sends to the people. It's all mine. So I gave you 100%. Why? So you can give 10 to my people. That are learning Torah. That are doing mitzvot. That are getting people to do tshuva. That are, uh, you know, avrechim uh, That are poor. That are destitute. That are converts. People that are need. I gave you 100, not so you have the 100. So you have 90. Give the other 10 to them, and by doing that, mitzvah, you're not only fulfilling my will, you're not only fulfilling my will as, oh, it's worth it for me to give you the hundred, but on top of it, on top of it, you're not stealing. You're not stealing, because that's the deal. Imagine a guy told you, "Listen, I am going to pay you a million dollars just to take this bag, just take this bag. To my friend, a million dollars. I'm gonna pay you. He said, "Okay, sure. Just give me the money. No problem. You got the money ahead of time. You go. You pick up the bag. You know, you know what? I'm kind of tired. I'm gonna go home. I'll, I'll bring the bag tomorrow. I'll, I'll give the guy the bag tomorrow. He doesn't need it today. You decide for yourself. He doesn't need it today. The guy just paid you a million dollars to bring take the bag from point A to point B. You decide. I'll do tomorrow. You go to sleep. The next day, you're like, ah, You know what? I'm still tired. I'm still tired. <laughs> I'm, still tired. I, I'm not going. I'm not going. It's too far." 40 minute drive, I'm not going. I'll do it tomorrow. He doesn't need the bag. And eventually, after a while, you start, you know what? He's not using the bag, so let me use the bag. He's not using the bag. I didn't give it to him yet, so let me use the bag. You start using the bag. Another few weeks pass. The guy calls you Hey, listen, no, no, my, my friend didn't get the bag yet. I paid you the money. I gave you a million dollars to just to give the bag from point A to point B. A million dollars I gave you. He goes, Listen, you got to give him another bag. What do you mean I got to give him another bag? He goes, I'm using it. But I paid you a million dollars to give him the bag. I paid you a ton of money just to do one small thing for me. I'm sorry. It's mine. It's my bag now. He has to get another bag. This is as ludicrous as can be. That's us though. That's us. People that are stingy and don't want to give myself because, oh no, I don't have enough money. My, the amount of money that I have is just enough to cover my bills. The amount of money that I have is just enough to this. What am I going to do? I'm going to starve. I'm going to this. I'm going to this. It only shows you have no emunah whatsoever in Hashem. It only shows. Why? Because you're still thinking that you're the one that made the 100%. You're the one that made the money. That Hashem somehow, somehow he messed up the math. He only gave you just enough for your bills. But not to give Marcel. He gave you $5,000 a month, but that's exactly how much you have in bills. So, now there's no Marcel for you. People always ask, well, am I still obligated to give Marcel? All the money that I'm spending is exactly what I need. I said it's never going to change. All the money that you're spending is exactly what you're going to need. If you give Marcel, you don't give Marcel. Why? The more money you make, the more money you're going to spend. Just because you're making $4,000 a month now, you think no no once I make 5000 I get a raise then I'm going to give myself. Once I get once I make 6000 then I'm going to give myself. Once I make 10000 I'm going to give myself. I'm going to I bet if you're not giving myself on little money, definitely for sure you are never going to give myself on big money. Never. It's never going to happen. And the reason why is because it's a lot easier to give myself on small money. It's a lot easier. If you made 5000 dollars to give 500 bucks, Then if you made 50,000 to give 5,000 And if 500,000 It's much more difficult to make To to write a check for 50,000 And if you made 5 million It's much more difficult to write a check for 500,000 Why? You didn't train yourself when you had small money The whole point of why Hashem takes you And doesn't make you rich overnight most of the time Is simply because he's trying to train you but if you didn't train yourself with small money, you're not going to succeed with big money. Having big money is a much bigger test than having little money. So the point is, Abu is that Hashemit bach says that we are failing the simplest of all tests. The simplest of all tests. Why? Because it affects our pocket. As soon as it affects our pocket, it affects our brain, it affects our logic. We don't want to hear it anymore. No, you're too stringent. No, you're too this. No, you're this. No, you're that. People start going against the Torah. Why? As soon as it affects their pre-existing beliefs. And this is the same thing with Shabbat, Tarek Mishpacha, with wigs, with everything. With all of the the entire Torah. If it doesn't agree with your natural logic, automatically you're going to reject it. Unless you learn Torah and you're looking for the truth. So... The issue that we have today is that a lot of the truth that we have is against people's logic. Because when you're telling people that technically the biggest criminal against Amisrael is ourselves, as the Torah states time and time again, and of course the goyim are not absolved of their sins, of course they're going to be punished, no one should ever uh, think for a half a moment. That we agree with anything that they did of course they're all going to be punished and are being punished for it but the point being is that it's all in the hands of hashem and hashem says the only reason why all of these are happening is because you are not doing what i said that's the reason so don't think that this guy that drowned in some ocean he just drowned because it was a tough day or something in the ocean there was a wind don't think that this guy that lost his house in the hurricane—he really lost it because of the hurricane. Because it's not the hurricane; the one that runs the hurricane decides which house gets ruined, which not. And the reality is, Abutai, that anyone that even pays attention to the world around them would understand that the fact that you wake up every morning already is a miracle. Why? Almost twenty million people die every single year. Every single year, almost 20 million people. Okay, you're talking about a couple of hundred thousand people don't wake up every day. You know what a couple of hundred thousand people is? I mean, you're talking about you're filling a a city. A city of people don't wake up every day. You understand what that means? A couple of hundred thousand people don't wake up. They go to sleep, they don't wake up. A couple of hundred thousand people, they go to work, they don't come back home. They go on vacation, they don't come back from vacation. They go on a plane, they don't land. you understand what that means? You wake up in the morning and say, de fanecha, as if like, it's a given. Thank you, uh, yeah, psh, what's the big deal? I'm, I woke up. You know what a miracle that is? 200 people, 200,000 people died that day. And we just take it for granted. We don't realize how lucky we have to be alive. To be alive, to be alive, forget about if you have money, you don't have money, if you're married, you don't have married, you're, you're single, you're this, you're happy, you're not. none of that stuff matters yet. We just woke up and you, when you wake up, you, what are you saying to Hashem, thank you Hashem for giving me another chance. Meaning, I'm not one of the 200,000 people that died today. Do you understand what kind of fortune you have already. But we don't, we don't, our brain doesn't work that way. Why? Because our brain is constantly... Cluttered with nonsense, that the Yetzarah tries to put us to focus focus on your job, focus on money, focus on the stock market, focus on the girl that's walking across from you, focus on the guy that looked at you, focus on this one, fo- focus on everything else but the truth. And as soon as somebody comes and tells people the truth, why being so negative? Why so pessimistic? Why saying La Shonara against Am Yisrael? How dare you say such a thing? Do you know that if Moshe Rabbeinu came to this generation, they would not allow him to even forget lecture. They wouldn't even let him pray in any shul in the world today. Pray, pray, forget lecture. Pray, just to go pray. Pray with them. They wouldn't let him pray. You're too too much. You're too religious for us. You're too religious for us, Moshe. Moshe Kodesh Kodeshim. David Amelech showed up to this generation. Tell him, David, you got to start your own shoe. Rabbi Akiva wants to show up to a yeshiva. I want to learn. I'm 40 years old. I don't know anything yet. Before he's Rabbi Akiva, we just Akiva. I'm sorry, sir. It's too late for you. Go become a farmer. He's like, I'm already a farmer. Okay, so you're in the right place. No, but I want to be Talmud Chachar. I want to learn some Torah. I want to know Aleph Bet. I'm sorry, sir. You're too old for us. No teachers for people like you. confused confused so the prophet tells us that the biggest problem the biggest problem is that we don't even know that we're sick we're sick we're all sick some are sick because we have desires for something that we're not allowed to have some were sick that we have things that well, take us to away from God in different ways all of us have something some Shabbat some learning some anger some stinginess some arrogance whatever it is whatever nonsense is in our brain all of us have a few I probably have more than everybody but the point is being sick is not the problem not knowing that you're sick is the problem denying that you're sick is the biggest problem that's a new sickness that's what the Prophet is saying it's like even when Hashem Himself came to you and said, "Listen, just stop stealing from me. Forget about all the other mitzvah, tarat mishbacha, zera levatala, all the other six hundred and thirty Mitzvah, Forget about that. Just one mitzvah. One mitzvah. Take some money out of your pocket that I gave you and give it to one of my sons. You can't even do that. Hashem Himself came. Imagine every day we go, we pray every day. Hashem, Hashem, Hashem. Nobody sees Hashem. Hashem came." Hashem came to them and said, No, would I would Please give myself They don't want to do it. Do you understand? That's the etzara. Yes, Yetzara uh, confuse us. No, no, no. Let me get back to you, Hashem. Let me get back to you. I'm busy. I got to make some money. Then I'll give myself Once I'm a millionaire, I'll give myself So the problem is, is that the Prophet Malachi is telling us that the biggest problem is that we don't even admit that we're sick. That's the biggest problem just to get started. Just to get started, is you have to admit that we're sick. You had a question? You want to think about it more? So now, the Mishnah continues, and people are always sad when they hear about war. Now also before I forget the uh, I think I said it before, but I'll say it again, the Shu will also go for Ilu uh, Nishmat Avner Ben Naima, and also lema to the entire list that I don't have with me, but all of the people that we have on our list, Fidel, God bless you, you're supposed to provide the list, but I think both of us forgot about it. So 50, 50 partners I'm forgetting. But we have it in our mind that all of them are going to get Rewaashlema, lema Ne nephew, Refuata Goof. And we know that the same God that runs the world is the same one that knows that we have good intentions for all of them to have refuash So now, the same Mishnah reminds us that Hashem runs the world and that includes some of the things we don't really like to talk about, we don't like to hear about, we don't want to deal with. Yesterday we talked about how pestilence, devil, comes to the world it's a uh, something that kills many people unfortunately but now today we have something that kills even more and that's war so where does war happen in the world now the sfarim hakdoshim say about the, uh, the the commentaries on the prophet uh, Daniel the book of Daniel It says that Daniel had a best friend Daniel was a prophet Kodesh Kodeshim at the Gemara says that if Hashem decided That there would be Mashiach in that generation the Prophet Daniel would have been the Mashiach In every generation there's always going to be someone that is a perfect candidate to be a Mashiach in that generation Daniel was the candidate later on it was his uh, after that we got to uh uh and so on and so forth. So Daniel had a best friend, but his best friend is not like best friends like we have. You know, a best friend, you grow up with them, you hang out with them, maybe you play some sports with them, you're you learn with them, I don't know, you do stuff with, you go camping with. No, he didn't have that kind of best friend. Who's his best friend? His best friend was the angel Gabriel. That's his best friend. The angel Gabriel. So the angel Gabriel comes and says, you see in the book of Daniel, angel Gabriel comes to Daniel, he says, there's a war in Shammai, between me, he's the Malach, he's the angel for Am Yisrael, against the Goim, against the nations that are, you know, the the Buchanetzer, Bavel, all the nations that are fighting, Am Yisrael, there's a fight up there and I got really weak. So Daniel gave him a chizuk, gave him some musal. And the the angel Gabriel tells Daniel, you gave me strength. Now I'm going to go bring my friends, the angel Michael. I'm going to go bring them. I'm going to bring them and I'll go beat them up. Now we're going to win. We gave me Chizuk Daniel. Imagine, a human being, flesh and blood, gave Chizuk to an angel. But from here, we also learn that before before there's a war in this world, the war initially begins over there war begins in Shemaim. the angels fight among them whatever that means i don't think there's swords and and things like that but there's whatever that means for but the question is what causes it what starts this war so this mishnah is going to tell us kherev ba'al olam al ad it says a sword of war comes to the world why for delay of justice for the perversion of justice and for rendering decisions that are contrary to Now you would think, okay, these are three things that pretty much happen every minute in today's world. You're telling me that this is, this is what causes war? Yes. That's not always war where there's atomic bombs and tanks and so on. It could also literally mean a terrorist attack. It could mean a fight with just a Hamas sending 4,000 missiles at Israel without actually being a real actual war. But the point is that for all of those people that spend their hard earned money, their hearts and souls supporting IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, and anyone that helps them, you'd be better off getting Amistad to do Kiruv. Because all the missiles in the world can't help those IDF soldiers more than God can. So Now we're going to delve into what does it actually mean? Why would delay of justice or perversion of justice or making the wrong decision on Allah and publicizing it why is it such a bad thing? To such an extent it's causing a war? Okay, so one rabbi made a mistake. It happens to be a dayan. He decided that you know what we have a case Uh, I'm not ready to decide come back next week come back next month come back next year that's gonna cause a war according to the Mishnah yes why let's see so according to the Torah suffering in this world, carries an enormous amount of weight. Enormous amount of weight. It, to such an extent that the Chachamim say that if someone knew the value of their suffering in this world, they would ask for it. They would pray for Hashem to give them more suffering because of how valuable it is in comparison to the next world. Suffering for some you know—somebody makes sins; they have to suffer for them. There's no there's no suffering without sin. But that means that if I made a sin, and I don't want to suffer for it in the next world, because we already talked about what happens in the uh, second game over there. It's very, very difficult suffering. But you're telling me that instead of being over there for a thousand years, or for a year, or even for a minute, I'm going to break a nail. Let me break a nail every five minutes then. Or instead of being there, suffering there for a week, I'm going to break a foot, or lose some money, or somebody's going to make me cry or whatever it's going to be, that's going to save me from that, I would ask for it. The problem is that most of us simply don't understand what suffering in the real world is. So we don't ask for suffering here and we don't want suffering over there and when we actually have suffering here, we're so confused of what it is, we start complaining to God about it, not realizing that technically it's a gift. If we truly understood what suffering is, We'd realize it's a gift from Hashem. Now, we're not in a point where anyone here is, uh, or at least I don't think anyone really in this generation other than Gdole Adol is at a point where you can start praying for suffering. You don't need to pray. But what the prophet Jeremiah is trying to say is at least stop complaining. Understand the suffering itself is even good for you. But now, to give somebody, to cause somebody suffering, is a serious problem. As we said in last night's shul, we had a story between uh, the Chafetz Chaim and Rav Godinsky, where Rav Godinsky, before he became gedolah said no to a certain woman on a shiduch, and many years later, could have been maybe fifty years later, his daughter got sick, and the Chafetz Chaim, but Ruach Hakodesh that he had. Said it's because Rab Godinsky said no to that woman and, and the Shiduch, and he heard Bat Israel. He heard a daughter of Israel, and for that Hashem is judging him. And Rab Godinsky agreed. He went to her and asked her for an apology. She didn't accept the apology, and his daughter died. And Chaphet Rab- Shaim, and, and when they asked him, How come you not praying for him? How come you not trying to like. You know, ask for a shem for you know, for some type of mercy for for the Gdolador of Gudinski. Chafetz Chaim agreed that he's bigger than him, bigger than the Chafetz Chaim. Why don't you pray for him? He says to the people, "What do you think? It's so simple to just go and and insu- uh, 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 you know, uh, insult or hurt, offend. More better word is offend, a Yisrael and just get away with it. You could just." Offend some some daughter of Israel, daughter of Hashemit Barach, and just get away with it. Nothing happens. Chavetz Chaim is saying this about the Gadol Adol, and the G'dol Adol agreed. He says he's right. I have to go. He went to a different city to go ask for an apology. Too late. keneged So this is not a Chidushim Yaron This is the Chachamim. This is what they say. So now. People don't like to hear stuff like this sometimes. Why? You tell them, listen, cancer happens because of certain things. HIV happens because of certain things. People uh, reincarnate into dogs because of certain things. People reincarnate into a wall for certain things. According to our Rizal, according to the gemara, according to our Torah, according to our sages, all different reasons for everything. People don't like to hear it. They always like to say, no, no, it's, it's just bad luck. It's bad this, it's bad this. So here this Mishnah is going to give us some real reason for some big things. She says when a person delays the judgment, there's there's the Sanhedrin, there's the judge, there's a dayan, and there's a case presented to him. Once the judgment is made, once the judgment is made, they said, listen, this person violated Shabbat, the judgment according to the Torah is death penalty. This person murdered... Judgment, death penalty. This person went with a married woman, judgment, death penalty. And so on and so forth. a certain judgment. This person has to pay a fine. This person has to do this. It's not always death penalty. The point is, once there's a judgment passed already, the Torah obligates the Dayanim, obligates the bed obligates the Beddin, obligates the Sanhedrin to execute the judgment the same exact day. There's no delay of, listen, this guy's going to get a death penalty. Eventually, he's going to go into an electric chair or get the needle, whatever it is. But let him rot in jail for 20 years. This is what the going do. There are entire prison cells in the United States and in different parts of the world, but specifically in the U.S., that literally have death row, meaning it's a bunch of people that... There was judgment already against them. They decided that these people have lost their right to live. They murdered. They did. They did whatever whatever wicked thing they did. That's it. We're going to kill them. We're going to remove them from the population because they're a danger to the world. So instead of killing them because you know they're dangerous, what do they do? They let them rot in jail for 10, 20, 30 years. Five years, even one minute. And they think, oh, no, it's a good thing. But the reality is that it's not a good thing. Why is it not a good thing? First and foremost, there's always a small chance that the person can escape. If you've already decided that he's a danger to society, why keep him alive? If he can escape and go back to being a danger to society, or even the cellmate next to him, why? What's. If you've already concluded he's a danger to society, why? What, what's. What's the delay for? What does it serve? What the electric train doesn't work on Tuesdays? What it doesn't work on Wednesdays at three thirty? What the needle you you have to invent it like an atomic bomb? It has to go through a uh, through a process that takes uh, you know uh, twenty years to make the plutonium. Like what? What's the problem? So that's first and foremost. If he's al- if you've already convicted him. And prove that he's a danger or she's a danger to society to such an extent that they must, they've lost their right to live. What's the delay for? Second, even worse, according to the Torah, the guy that actually has lost his right to live, we have no right to cause him additional suffering. He made a crime, he suffers for that crime. He murdered he suffers for that crime. There's no right for us to punish him for something he didn't do so now the Torah says and Rabbenu Yonah, Rashi, the Rambam, in the Chosanedrin 12-4 specifically talks about this That once a person knows, Rabba, once a person knows that the judgment is against him he has committed murder. He has violated Shabbat. Whatever he did, and according to the Bedin, that's it, he has lost his right to live. You keeping him alive for an extra minute is causing him an extra level of suffering. Why? He doesn't know when he's going to die. He's ready now. Okay, I got judged. I'm miserable. I don't want to die, but bottom line is, okay, so now, every day, he doesn't know what's going to happen. Every day, he lives like, oh, today, today is the day, tomorrow is the day. He doesn't know. He's suffering extra. What is this like? How is it mentioned in the Torah? The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, page 96b all the way continues to 97a. It says that Rabbi Akiva says the Mekoshesh Aitim, the Mekoshesh Aitim was the gatherer. The gatherer, the one that violated Shabbat for the first Shabbat in history, the first violator of Shabbat in history. Just who was he? The Torah calls him Mekosheshetim, the Gatherer. So Rabbi Akiva comes and he says Mekosheshetim, Shmo. His name is Slofchad. His name is Slofchad. So Rabbi Yehuda comes to uh, to uh, to Rabbi Akiva. He says Rabbi Akiva, whether you're right that it's Mekosheshetim is Slofchad or you're wrong. You're gonna to have to pay the deen for that. Rabbi Akiva he says, You're gonna be punished for it, he says to him, for saying it's Slofchad. Why? He says, If it's him, if it's Slofchad, damn it, the Torah called him Mekoshesh Etzim, they called him the gatherer. So obviously the Torah is trying to hide his name. If the Torah wanted us to know his name, it would say Ish by the name of Slofchad. You uncovered what the Torah was hiding. Why? What gives you the right? But if you're wrong, and it's not really Tzlovchad, because Tzlovchad we learn later on is tzaddik. He died in the desert. His daughters come to Moshe Rabbeinu and say we want a piece of the land, but our father died due to his own sin. But now you're saying that Tzlovchad technically was a tzaddik. So now you're saying that Tzlovchad is a Mechala Shabbat, so it's a muti shemra. Rabbi Akiva muti shemra. You're you're putting a bad name you're against against the Tadiq. It says the same argument they have, Aaron Aaron Cohen. It says when Miriam got punished from Hashem for saying lashon and Moshe Rabenu. Rabbi Akiva comes says you know that not only Miriam got tsarat but also Aaron got tsarat. Aaron a Cohen. Rabbi Yuda comes to him and he says to him Rabbi Akiva. You're going to pay a deen. You're going to pay a judgment. You're going to get punished for what you're saying. See how they talk to each other for the truth. He says, you're going to have to pay a deen for that. Because if it's beimen, if I want to coin, got the tzarat. Torah didn't say it literally. Which means Torah is trying to hide it. If it is, so which means you're uncovering something Torah is trying to hide. Why? What gives you the right? But if he really didn't do it, he didn't get tzarat, and you're saying he got punishment, Motzi shemra, against him, against Hashem. Meaning, what we're learning from here? We're learning that you can't just say stuff. You can't just say stuff. This sounds good. This is a good story. It's a good khidush because it makes sense to me. It has to be mamash. So, what's the conclusion of this debate between them? Rabbi Akiva says, "I got this from Ayavod. I got this from my teachers and my teachers, Rabbi Elizabeth. ben can go all the way to Moshe Rabenu, meaning it's not me; it's Moshe Rabenu said it. Moshe Rabenu said it's slofchad. Moshe Rabenu said I went according to God, so don't worry; it's not me. I'm not getting Bok Hashem. I don't have to anything to worry about. But here we see that even to say something against the Ben or Bat Yisrael carries a lot of weight. So now, when slofchad the mekoshesh aitzin. The gatherer violated Shabbat says in the book of Numbers, Bamidbal, chapter 15, that the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they found a man gathering wood on the Shabbat. Those who found them gathering wood brought him to Moshe and Aaron and the entire assembly. They placed him in custody. They put him under arrest. Why? For it had not been clarified what should be done to him. Meaning they didn't know what's the punishment, what's going to happen. He's technically at Sadiq, he violated Shabbat. It's only the first Shabbat after we got Matan Torah. Meaning we just got the Torah last week. Maybe he didn't read the whole book. He didn't have time to read the whole thing. We only had Torah for one week. So maybe there's leeway. Maybe there's leeway. So Moshe goes to Hashem and says, what do I do with this guy? The next verse says, Hashem says to Moshe, The man shall be put to death. The entire assembly shall pelt him with stones outside of the camp. Meaning the worst possible death penalty in front of everyone, by everyone. Make no mistake about it, even though we got the Torah last week, makes no difference. So if it made no difference a week after we got the Torah, what makes us think that it's okay to violate Shabbat 3,000 years after we got the Torah? So now... The entire assembly removed him from outside of the camp and they pelted him with stones and he died as Hashem commanded Moshe. Now, this whole story of what I just told you is not because of the story. It's all to mention a completely different story. Now, earlier in the Torah, the Torah is not necessarily in order, but early in the Torah, in the book of Leviticus, there was another guy, Beni Sha'israelit, Ben Ish Mitzri Israel, Imo Shlomit bat Divri He says there was a son of an Israelite woman that went out, and he was the son of an Egyptian man. And later on, it says, this, uh, the name of his mother was Shlomit, the daughter of Divri in the tribe of Dan. So there's a certain man. In chapter 24 of the book of Leviticus, Vayikra, he says this person, his father was an Egyptian, which the Chachamim explained that this, actually his mom, was raped by the Egyptian in Egypt. And he was the son out of this unholy event. So now, technically he wasn't part of any of the tribes. Why? Because his father was an Egyptian. His mom was a tribe of Dan, but you don't pick the tribe based on the mom. So he came to the tribe of Dan. He said, okay, I'm uh, one, of the, one of the tribe of Dan. He goes, no, you're not. Your mom is a dad, but we don't pick based on the mom. Based, we pick based on your dad. Your dad is uh, Egyptian. Sorry. So he didn't know where to go. He got so angry. And it says... They fought in the camp, the son of the Israelite woman and the Israelite man, the son of the Israelite woman pronounced the name of Hash, uh, the name and blasphemed, meaning he cursed the name of Hashem. He got mad at Hashem he said, I don't know who's my you know w- w- what tribe I'm on. Look what you did to me Hashem you, you know I' my father the Egyptian they won't accept me here, they won't accept me here uh, it's your fault, Hashem. He cursed the name of Hashem. so they got him they arrested him, they brought him to Moshe Rabenu. And they placed them under guard to clarify for themselves through Hashem, like what to do with this guy. Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, Remove the blasphemer to the outside of the camp, and all those who heard shall lean their hands upon his head. The entire assembly shall stone him. And he also got the death penalty, and they killed him with the death penalty. Now, why do we mention what's the point? Here, the first time, which Slofchad. When Moshe Rabbeinu came to Hashem, he says, What do we do with him? He said, This one is, uh, you know, he was righteous, he meant well, and so on and so forth, but what do we do? But the real question was not this. The real reason why it says in both cases that they put him under arrest and they waited for Hashem to clarify. In both cases, it says that Hashem to clarify, meaning this, these two things were the same at the same exact time what are they clarifying what are they clarifying saying listen one guy violated Shabbat the other guy cursed the name of Hashem now we know for sure that according to the Torah that we just got last week the Mechalel Shabbat gets the worst death penalty of all there's no question about it once you violate Shabbat it's like you called out to Hashem he says you don't even exist But what are they asking? They're asking Hashem. Hashem, we can't technically put them in the same cell because this one cursed your name. The other one violated Shabbat. That's the worst. So is this one just as bad? Meaning that to violate Shabbat is worse than cursing Hashem's name. But they weren't able, they weren't able to put them in the same cell. Why? They said, because even though logically to us, it sounds like cursing Hashem's name is even worse. According to the Torah, it's not. According to the Torah, violating Shabbat is worse than cursing his name. And they didn't want the one that cursed his name to suffer a little extra than he deserves by being in the same cell with the Mechalel Shabbat that everyone knows is going to get the worst penalty of all. Meaning, maybe it's it's a lesser penalty. And the it ends up being the same penalty. Stoning. But the point being is that they didn't want to put them in the same cage, in the same cell, because... Everyone knew that Mechalel Shabbat is the worst. They just didn't know what the blasphemy was. And they didn't want him to suffer extra to be next to the worst criminal in the world. Can you imagine? He's a criminal. He's a criminal. No, no, no. He's a criminal for that. Not for anything else. We have no right to make him suffer extra more than he deserves. That's a divine Torah. Even though it's a gruesome event and so on and so forth, no one like this is this is the Torah. This is the Torah in its purest form. Now, delaying that execution is one of the reasons of why wars happen, because to the uh, to impose such agony. a convicted man violates the scriptural injunction which we just mentioned in Leviticus 1915 because true justice the Rambam says entails fair treatment even for the criminal even for the criminal and as a matter of fact violating this by actually torturing the criminal even by putting him in the wrong cell even by putting him in a uh, in a unit where everyone's a murderer and he stole money they're all murderers he stole money it's two different you can't put them in the same cell you can't put them in the same place this one hurt people this one uh, you know is greedy with money it's two different events he says this one violates the mitzvah of love your neighbor as you love yourself but he's a criminal doesn't make a difference He's still a Jew he's still a human being He's still in the image of God. He made a crime. We punish him. But we have no right to punish him above and beyond. The issue with bad judges... It's not a it's not a new thing unfortunately. It's always been around There's a lot of jokes about it where there was one funny story. There was one Dayan that everyone knew was a criminal The way to win a case in his room in his courtroom Was to bribe him? But since he his gava was as big as his courtroom. He didn't want to take the money directly so what he would do is before before every uh, case he would always leave his boots outside of the courtroom, his special judgment boots. The right side, that's the prosecutor. Left side, the defendant. Whichever boot, once he puts his foot into the boot, whichever boot was stuffed with more stuff in it, that's the one that won. Didn't make a difference, guilty or innocent. Your guilt was based on which boot? One day. The defendant knew this is the way the system works. So instead of putting cash in there, he put a bunch of rocks in there. Now the guy, the judge doesn't know. He doesn't check. He only checks after the case. He puts his foot in. Wow, it's hard. Heavy. His foot can barely move it. Wow, this guy really is innocent. This guy really is innocent. He gives it, oh yeah, innocent, innocent, innocent. He goes back, he's looking forward to collecting the diamonds and jewels he has in his boot, only to find out it's full of rocks. He says, you see what kind of criminal dishonest people I have? (laughs) Meaning the guy is looking in a mirror and he sees everybody else's faults. He doesn't see himself. That's the problem. That's the problem. So now, Digmaray Masechet Shabbat, page 33 talks about delaying of judgment. It says that for sins of delaying judgment, intentionally perverting judgment, corrupting judgment through carelessness, invasion comes to the world, meaning Hashem HaRachem, the uh, invasion of Eretz Yisrael comes, also due to neglecting of learning Torah, Plagues come to the Jewish people, famine, pestilence, meaning much worse than what we're already reading. The Gemara gives more details. Food will be in short supply, vengeance and so on. So the Gemara says, If we pervert justice, if we go against the uh, Torah and so on and so forth, fine. But why does it even mention neglecting learning Torah? So if the guy didn't come to the Shi'u, the guy decided to watch basketball instead of going to the Shi'u. You're telling me that's going to cause the same level of punishment as a guy that perverted judgment, that uh, delayed judgment, that changed the law onto his. Okay, the guy didn't go to the Shi'u Torah. The guy didn't open the Gemara today, he decided to skip it. Let me hang out with the kids. Mm-hmm. It's Mitzvah, no? Kodrav, it's Mitzvah hang out with my kids, no? Hang out with my wife, no? We went to a club together. It's not Mitzvah making my wife happy. There's people making Mitzvah all the time. <laughs> I made my wife happy. We took her to the beach on Shabbat, no? It's not Mitzvah, kodrav, it's not Mitzvah. It's not Mitzvah. So, but again, okay, so the guy that perverted the judgment, changed the law and so on, fine, I understand, that's not good. But what about the guy that's neglecting studying Torah? He didn't go to the shiur. You're telling me that's the same weight, the same scale? He says, yes. Why? He says, from here we learn from the pasuk. <im> lo briti valaila, Im v'aretz, lo samti. Hashem says, Hashem Itbar says, All of this is based on a covenant. And we learn from the verse, we learn from the verse from Jeremiah that Hashemid Baach specifically says that God comforts the Jewish people by telling them that this covenant, this learning Torah for the Jews, is the same at level of the covenant of day and night. Meaning Only reason why it keeps it day and night operating as it is is because of the learning of Torah and just as the cycle of day and night shall never cease so too shall God never completely forsake the Jewish people unless they forsake the Torah unless they forsake the Torah why my deal is to keep the night and day operating, the nature of the world operating, gravity operating, oxygen, all the different chemicals, all the different things that make up this world. Why? Because somebody in the world is learning Torah. But if somebody in the world is not keeping that covenant 24 hours a day, I'm not keeping mine. Now what's the difference if somebody in the world doesn't keep Torah and instead he's watching basketball, football, stock market, politics, all the nonsense that the Yetzirah filled the world up with in our minds, in our lives, in everything, so he missed the day of Torah, we think. Okay, big deal. He didn't go to shul. He'll watch it tomorrow on YouTube. He'll watch it tomorrow on Torah anytime. He'll watch it tomorrow on EW, or Whatever. He's going to watch it sometime, next week, next month. Big deal. I didn't study Torah. Hashem says it's a big deal. Why? What if you're the last person on earth that was going to study Torah in that moment? That moment, it was you. The whole world was relying on you. You didn't? Now I have to stop my deal. What's my deal? The world doesn't operate meaning the world ceases to exist instantly worse than Noach Noach had years to to build the, the whole ark and so on and even the disaster itself took a year technically from beginning to end Here he's saying if somebody's not learning Torah The beginning the middle and the end all happen in an instant such is the weight of going to Shure Torah such is the weight of learning Torah, such is the weight of doing what Hashem wants. It's, things are much heavier than what they appear. A person doesn't understand half the stuff he learns, thinks, ah, if I don't understand, might as well not learn. He doesn't realize that it could possibly be, especially in our generation, such a weak generation, it literally could be that you're the person that's learning Torah for that one minute, even if you don't understand anything. The world is relying on you for that one minute, for that one second, for that whatever it is. And that's why studying Torah it carries the same weight as some of the other things mentioned. Now there's other ways of how they delay justice. The uh Berama says that also the crime or this, this crime is when a judge refuses to sit on a case. He says there's a case, but it's a mafia boss. So Mafia boss, and he knows that if he he knows he's guilty, he knows the guy's a murderer, he knows the guy is a criminal, but he knows that if he votes that he's uh, you know against him, most likely his whole family's gonna get killed the next day. He says if a if a Jewish judge in the beddin refuses to take seat because he's afraid that a human being will take revenge against him. This is the same thing, this brings war. Why? Because the Torah warns, you shall never tremble before any man. You're not, you have no right to ever fear any man, whether he's the president of the United States or of Hamas or of Iran or of anything. If he's 90 feet tall, 2 feet, it doesn't make a difference. You're not allowed, you have no, it's, it's against the Torah, to fear any human being. Now, what about the kavod you give to the big rabbis in the world? That's kavod for the Torah they own, they learned, they toiled. You're not giving the the kavod to the person. You're giving the kavod to the Torah he possesses. Two different things. Dizoya mean takes it further. He says by delaying judgment, it's also. If a student who's competent to rule but refuses to do so, sometimes some people are truly humble. They're humble. They say, Listen, what do I know? I don't really know much, but the guy really knows a lot. I mean, technically, the Gemara says that you really shouldn't tell people how much you know. Like if they tell you, listen, did you ever finish the Shas or how many times you finished the Shas? You could just say, Listen, the Gemara says it's not it's not something that we talk about. You don't need to tell people, it's not necessarily a good thing to say. Um but being humble is a good thing. It's the best midah. But then there is a flawed hum- humility. Flawed humility is when you're humble in the wrong time and the wrong place. Meaning, there's a room full of people. We need one that's a Talmud Chacham to judge. You're the guy. You know more than everybody about this specific subject. You're the Talmud Chacham. Say, no, what do I know? What do I know? That's, it's not, a good, that's not a good humility. Why? We need you. At this moment, you're the, you're the ish, you're the best of the best. Makom, ish. you're the one that knows. So that is also a form of delayed judgment. Brings war to the world. Why? You have torah, you're not sharing it. Because you didn't share it, it's going to create war. It's going to create machloket because no one's going to judge. So he's going to say he's right, he's going to say he's right. Everyone's going to fight constantly. Why? Because you didn't want to judge. Because you want to be humble. You think you're Moshe Rabbeinu, but in reality, you're more like Koach. Yeah, even worse, even worse, this why I mean says, an unqualified student who decides to rule instead. Even worse than the guy that's qualified and doesn't want to rule, is somebody worse. Someone's not qualified, he doesn't know anything, but he decides, yeah, by the way, guys, I think you're allowed. To uh, or in fact, I know you're allowed to smoke marijuana right before you learn Torah. It's if it's good for your brain, like this Dolka Sutta said. I can't get over it, Mamash I can't get over it that someone that calls themselves a rabbi, a religious Jew, anything, would tell people to go smoke marijuana before they study Torah. I just, it, it cannot enter my mind. I don't understand. I don't understand. It's it's just something. It's like I feel like every time I hear it, it's like my like I got stupider because of it. I don't understand. How could such a person do such a thing? Do you know what kind of responsibility you're taking on your shoulders? Every single person is going to listen to this imbecile say such a thing. He says, okay, see, he's smoking uh, marijuana while he's uh, reading Parashat Shavua. Like, Do you know what kind of responsibility you just took on your head? You created a war in the world. You created a machloket. You went against Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. You went against the entire Torah with the stupidity you just created. And not only that, they highlighted, they make a clip out of it with, uh, with subtitles in case you could not understand his speech. They wrote it for you also. This brings war to the world. This brings war to the world. So, it's low Pashut. It's low Pashut to just go out there and tell people yes, no. Unless you know the answer for sure, you should never say yes, no. Not yes or not no. Why? It's a problem. They may use you as the rabbi. Uh, but I'm not a rabbi. It doesn't make a difference. They asked you a question, you answered it, you officially became their rabbi. Don't answer if you don't know for sure. Why? It's life and death. It's life and death. The guy says, oh, am I allowed to uh, make uh, tomato sauce on Shabbat? You say yes. You just killed him. You just killed him. You officially killed him. The guy's a violator of Shabbat every Shabbat for the rest of his life because you're not allowed to make tomato sauce on. You're not allowed to grind tomatoes on Shabbat. And you told him yes. He's never going to ask you again. You're never going to double check again. You may never see him again. But he's going to grind tomatoes every Shabbat for the rest of his life. And his wife is going to do it. And his kids are going to do it. And the grandkids are going to do it. And you're going to have 10,000 people violating Shabbat. Why? You said yes because you weren't really so sure. But, eh, sounded okay. It carries a lot of weight. Sometimes I tell people, listen, send me questions as often as you'd like. But just don't expect answers right away. If I have the answer right away, and I'm available right away, I'll answer you right away. But sometimes it can take me literally a month to answer a question. Somebody sends me a text. A month and a half later, I answer them. They forgot about the question, or they send me an email. Three months later, I respond. Most of the time, it's because I don't have time. But sometimes, I honestly don't know the answer. I have to find out. They're asking question. I don't know the answer, I have to find out whenever I'm going to get to it. It's not, I'm not just sitting there all day, twiddling my thumbs, waiting for questions to come in. Hashem, I have 300 emails right now waiting for me already from a few months ago that I still haven't been able to respond to. I feel bad I mean, people, that, but that's just a reality. But I'm not going to just write and say yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, and take your, own li- your life in my hands. So if you're going to answer people's questions, you have to make sure you know the answer for sure. That's why it's also good to provide a source because then you have something to rely on. Because if that person takes that answer and runs with it, Shemir Achem, if it's wrong. Now, the next thing it says, Val ivutadin, perversion of justice. What is perversion of justice? Accepting bribes. Rashi says accepting bribes. Meaning you aren't scared to judge against the mafioso. Why? You took his bribe and now you know who's going to win. You took a bribe. The Rambam and Me'ili include one who vindicates the guilty and indicts the innocent, meaning you made a wrong judgment. You perverted the justice by making the wrong by simply not delving into it deep enough to make the right judgment. You made the wrong call. You put the guy that's guilty in jail uh, in, uh, free and you put the guy that's innocent in jail The myself vitri Says one who takes the wealth of one person and gives it to another What does it mean? Making the wrong judgment people make mistakes here and there but some people take it into their hands and do it intentionally. How? They say there's a lawsuit. One guy is worth a billion dollars. The other guy is in debt a billion dollars. He has nothing. He's, uh, he's he owes already money to his next Gilgul. He's going to be born again in next Gilgul. Still owes money to the same people. Guy's in so much trouble. He lost all of his money. He's got so many bad things happening to him, and something happened between these two. Bochaber. Uh, something happened between these two, and uh, the judge sees, listen, this guy 's got a billion dollars he 's got money to burn. He uses money as toilet paper already. The other guy me scan doesn 't have food to eat. and what 's the whole lawsuit for it 's for a thousand bucks. Nothing. Technically, the rich guy's right. The rich guy's right. But the poor guy, me scan, thousand bucks damn is all the money in the world. let 's just give it to the poor guy. Let's just give the, it's not going to affect the rich guy. He's got billions, thousand dollars is what his lunch costs. Let's just give it to the, let's just give the thousand bucks to the poor guy. Big deal. That's perverting justice. That's judging the tameh as ta'ol and the ta'ol as tameh. Why? You decide you're going to run the world now. Hashem made a mistake, you're going to be Robin Hood. You're going to steal from the rich, give to the poor. Robin Hood, according to the Torah, is a big criminal. But people think he's a tzaddik because he gave from the poor to the rich, from the rich to the poor. Nonsense. Perverting justice. You're trying to manipulate the world. No such thing is ever allowed. Now, the Gemaraim HaSechat Shabbat, page 32b, says, know the following. If you ever see a generation with many problems, kind of sounds familiar, but if you just happen to live in a generation that has a lot of problems, I don't know, AIDS, cancer of all types of, uh, of organs, uh, people are losing their hair when they're, when they're 18 already, uh, you know, there's, everyone wants to kill you. Or your people, people are getting stabbed by FedEx drivers or getting run over by just some guy to rent to the car. Just if it happens to happen in the world. If you happen to live in such a generation that there's a new problem every day. If it happens. Know to look at the actions of the wicked dayanim. Meaning, problems of the generation because there's some few could be one two three five however much it is not everybody is a few the that are bringing christian missionaries to their synagogues there's a few of those or they write a book with the number one machdiara rabim in the history of mankind pamela anderson Like this Shmuli Boteach Rasha. He's not a Dayan Bauch Hashem. But the point is that the, the suffering of the generation, a large part of it is their fault. A large part of it is their fault. It's a Gemara meforeshet And Gemara El Masechet says, and Ben David Ba, the Mashiach is not coming, He's not coming until all the wicked judges and police are destroyed. So now, what are we going to go with? the Tzav from the Torah to go to the judges? No, we're not Dayanim. We're not Sanhedrin. What's what does this mean really? What does this mean? We'll go further. Zohar Kadosh says Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai says, there's a special place in Genom for those people who violate Shabbat without doing chuva, spill clean blood intentionally, meaning waste seed and pervert the torah and render judgment contrary to Allah. they pervert the torah he says especially the this game on the seven chambers they have their own section vip permanent status once you go in you never leave shema why was such a bad thing Reason time is Because we rely on leadership Most people are not learned in fact most people think that they're smarter than what they really are But most people don't know the basics of what they really need to know In any subject it could be in Torah, obviously could also be in other things you ask average American who's the vice president? most people are not going to know What's the capital of the United States? They're not going to know. What's the population in America? They're not going to know. How many, uh, you know, different, they're not going to know most things. Most people just don't know much. Most people have not learned. They learned about sports. They could tell you the salary cap of every basketball team or football team. They could tell you who's the best player on certain teams in, uh, in, in soccer. They could tell you who's the most famous model in the world and how much she makes or how much he makes. They could tell you the, uh, the net worth. Of The Amazon CEO and founder that stuff they can tell you but the things that are necessary to their day-to-day life They don't know needless to say they don't know anything about the things they need for their eternity But they feel comfortable with themselves walking blind because they rely on leadership to fulfill to fill the void meaning I'm not gonna go learn what I need to know because I rely on you to tell me what I need to know Instead of me, I don't want to go spend my whole afternoon every day reading these hundreds of books I rely on you to summarize it for me through one lecture. So most people That still go to shul they rely on the fact they're gonna go to shul once a a week and on Shabbat The rabbi is gonna give a lecture at some point in the during the day for I don't know 20 minutes a half hour an hour and that's pretty much the vast majority of people that's the Torah for the entire week. And unfortunately, many of the speeches are a complete waste of time. They tell people things that are not relevant to day-to-day life, and in many cases, they make the Torah Shalom, Shalom seem boring to the average person. They tell you things about, oh, there's Alachot or the Kobanot or the Betta Mikdash. Now, if I'm a Tamit Chacham and I learn all day, this is interesting to me. But if I'm an Amalitz, I don't know anything. All I know is Wall Street. All I know is girls. All I know is soccer and basketball and all this other, uh, you know, uh, Blippi on YouTube or something. That's all I know in life. And you're going to tell me about Kobanot or Betta Mikdash. It's like, ah, I'd rather go back to blippy. I'd rather go back to uh, LeBron James. It's boring. Who wants to learn about this kobanot? It's not for me. So this is a problem. It's a very serious problem that a lot of the speeches being given today are a complete waste of people's time. They're not because the Torah itself is being taught is not good. It's good, but it's not for them. It's not relevant to the crowd. You're not matching the customer to the product. The average guy wants to know how do I get through the week when my partner just stole money from me. When my wife cursed me out in the morning. When my husband doesn't want to give me money to survive. When my in-laws are coming to visit and I can't stand them. average guy wants to know, how do I survive the week? Day-to-day stuff, musal. And they want to pay for it. They pay these professional speakers hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to do events. Why can't Judah's a rabbi? Rabbi doesn't think that far. He's thinking, no, I'll talk about other stuff, make them think that it's, uh, you know, make them uh, see the beauty of the Torah in another way. And the reality is they're not seeing it. They're not seeing it. So now, unfortunately, the leaders, in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, they're misleading, not intentionally. They're telling people things that are, they think are neutral, no one's going to get upset, no one's going to get angry. And hopefully they're gonna come back again next week in other cases people literally tell people the opposite of what they need to know and the gemara masechet Sotah, page 49b says that the generation before mashiach is going to have such leaders that are going to lead people against their own interest literally the leader the one you elected you put into office you gave him the money You gave him the power, you the people, instead of him saying thank you, and now I'm going to help you guys back in return. Gratefulness, right? You put me in office, I'm going to do what you wanted me to do in the office, what I promised you, right? We need a change, right? Okay, so let's change stuff. What do the leaders do in the generation before Mashiach? The opposite of what is good for the people, meaning they become their enemy, initially, it's going to be in disguise. You're not going to know that he's really your enemy. He's always going to blame it at someone else, or someone else, or someone else, someone else. Never our own fault. But eventually Hashem says, before Mashiach comes, I'm going to expose everyone. That's what we learned from this Mishnah in Masich at And Ben David Ba, the Mashiach is not coming until all the judges. And uh, the wicked judges of the uh, and the police, the wicked police are destroyed. Not the good ones, the wicked ones. Meaning until everyone is exposed for who they really are. Now, I generally don't get involved in politics because I've always hated politics to begin with. I believe most of them are criminal, and really, to be a po- politician by default, you have to be a liar. That's in general. Now, Israeli politics, I just think of purely stupid because you have half the government as terrorists. Arab terrorists inside a Jewish government it just doesn't make sense to me, but generally people tell me do you like this one. like that one, I don't have an opinion. But today I have an opinion. Why? Because today they've crossed the line. They've crossed the line of even their own level of stupidity. Having a terrorist because you call yourself a democracy, is one thing. It's one thing. I don't know it's a new level of stupidity in my opinion, but a, apparently the world at large agrees to it. But now having one of the top missionaries in the world. Come work for you. That's just a new level of stupid. And this, unfortunately, is what happened apparently today where Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, the one that everybody believes is the smartest man in the world apparently, or at least one of them with an IQ of 180, and who got education in the United States, who knows how to speak English relatively well, who was in good relations with Trump, who has got some good things done for, for, for Eretz Israel and people like him, some you know more than others. Now he decided, what am I going to do? I'm going to hire this jokester to be the, the head of my campaign for social media for the government pretty much. Now who is this jokester? This is one of the top missionaries on planet earth. He roots for Israel openly. talks about how Eretz Israel is defend itself. Go, you know, the, the, We have a right to exist. We have a this, we have a this. But in reality, the, the hidden message, which is not hidden, is what? We need all of the Jews to become Christian. That's the message. Yeah, the Jews have a right to live, but by the way, the goal is for them to stop being Jewish. No, too. So now you're going to have the number one missionary on the, on the internet pretty much. He has, I don't know, millions of followers, this guy. Because it sounds like, he looks like he's Jewish. He acts like he's Jewish, but until you start hearing him talk about JCPenney. But by then you've already watched 15 of his videos. You already like the guy. Maybe he's right about this, maybe he's right about that. And what do they do? They hire him to be the head. The head of the social media for the government. Now why is this bad? Why is, why is doing such a thing so stupid? This is no different... Than what we were talking about a year and a half ago of what Goldberg was doing in Boca Raton to bring Matthew Kelly, one of the top Catholic missionaries in the world, to speak to a of a thousand families about the purpose of life or anything for that matter. And we used alakha, not my opinion. Forget my opinion, it's meaningless. The opinion of the Torah, someone that's a missionary. Is considered a mean. Mean, according to the Torah, is someone that you, not only you have to stay away from him, you're not even allowed to be within six feet of him. Why? Lest you hear what he says. To such an extent that the Gemaraim Asiket Abu Dazara says that the rabbi of Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokinos, Kodesh Kodeshim, almost got the death penalty from Hashem. For what? One time he listened to a missionary say something, say such an idea, and he enjoyed the idea. Not that he believed in anything. He said he liked the idea. What was the idea? He says, listen, the Torah says, our rabbi, which was J.C. Penny, says that you know, we shouldn't accept anything from the prostitutes because you know, the, it says in the Torah, you're not allowed to accept the money of a prostitute as a Koban, and you're not allowed to accept uh, a dog as a Koban. So the missionary had an idea to share with Rabbi of ben What did he say? He says, yes, just like her acts are disgusting, so is our money disgusting, so is everything that comes out of her disgusting, and therefore we don't accept it. And Rabbi of ben not didn't say anything. But he said, in my heart, I said, well, you know, it's, it's an interesting idea. He enjoyed it for a second. Hashem punished him and almost gave him a death penalty. Meaning that Amin, a missionary, is so dangerous, you're not even allowed to listen to him. Lest you like what he says. It's a mitzvah according to the Rambam to burn their books. Mitzvah. Even if it's a sefer Torah, they wrote a sefer Torah, it's a mitzvah to burn it. Why? Because the whole thing is they're going against Hashem. Now to hire a person like this is more dangerous than bringing Matthew Kelly to a shul. Why? People think, oh yeah, he's just good at social media. Look at the profile that he built. He built a big profile. He has millions of followers. You know, what's the problem? Maybe he could help the uh, Israeli government become more liked by the nations around us. The problem is, is that people use their emotions more than they use their brain. So now that he put him in the limelight, People are going to check out who, he's, who he is. How are they going to check out? Are well, they going to go to his house? Knock. Hey, hello, can you tell us about yourself? What did you do last weekend? How many brothers and sisters do you have? Oh, really? Who would you vote for? No, what are they going to do? They're going to look him up on the internet. They're going to see the guy has hundreds and hundreds of videos on the internet. What are they going to do? They're going to press play. And some of them are gonna say, "We are, Israel has the right to live. Israel has the right to live. Israel has the right to live." It sounds good, 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 good. You get sold. You subscribe. Next thing you know, the next video that you haven't seen yet shows up on your, on your uh, Google, shows up on your email, shows up what? Oh, and by the way, JC Penney is here to save you. And now a Jew that's ignorant say, "Oh, maybe he is. Maybe he's not. Who knows? Who am I to judge? This guy's such a nice guy. He's got twenty million followers. Maybe he is right. That's why he has so many followers." You start using your yetzer brain. So now you put this guy in a limelight that all Jews right now are going to know who this guy is. There's no higher level of stupidity in the world than this other than making him the prime minister. Maybe it's better. But Rabotay Karim, this is also good news. Why? It means the Mashiach must be really, really close. Why? Hashem must identify who's wicked and who's righteous before the end of times. So for anyone who thought that maybe there's a chance that there's something that looks better than what it is. Hashem is making everything clear. Crystal clear. We're not judge, we're not jury. But to hire a missionary in the Jewish government is just hire... I, honestly, it's better to hire a terrorist. A known terrorist with the atomic bomb on him. It's better to hire him. At least you know he's going to kill bodies. The body goes, the body comes back. a soul. Oh, this guy kills neshamot. He kills neshamot. People simply don't understand. We're just blind. We're blind. But this is what's happening. This is what's happening. So now we'll finalize with the last part here. It says, what's the last reason of why war comes to the world? It says, Valamurim. But Torah shelokha alacha, rendering decisions that are contrary to alacha, sounds kind of like the same thing, but it's not. This refers to one who permits the forbidden and forbids the permitted, in regards to ritual matters, according to Rashi, Rabbi Rav. But the Midrash Shmuel and Machzor Vitri, also include one who renders decisions. In the presence of his rabbi. Meaning, somebody asks a question. His rabbi is here. He's here. Somebody asks, hey, by the way, you allowed to do such and such on Shabbat? And he answers. Says that person did something that's against Allah. Why? Not allowed to answer Allah questions next to your rabbi unless your rabbi says, go ahead. This almost got Shmuel. Shmuel killed. Gemara Masachel Bachot says, Shmuel was in a, uh, in a Mikdash, and somebody came to the. um, and asked them, uh, listen, we can't do kobanot right now because uh, we don't have a kohen to do the slaughtering. So Shmuel said, Nah, don't you know that according to Allah, you don't need a kohen to do the slaughtering? Even an idiot, a regular person, a common person can do slaughtering. Only the koban itself, the whole ceremony, need a kohen. So his rabbi, the kohen gadol, says, You're right but now you said alacha in front of me and I have to kill you. So his mom, started crying, no, no, please, he's my son, he's my son, please, I prayed for him for so many years. He says, I'll pray for somebody else, for your better son than him. She goes, no, he's the one I prayed for. And he let it go. Why did he let it go? He just violated the law. So if he lets it go, technically he's violating Torah. Why did he let it go? Because was only three years old. He knew more than everybody else, but he he could still qualify as a minor three years old He's three years old. Okay, he's three years old. Okay now let it go if he was 13 can't let it go Imagine So now One who rules questions in law in spite of his incompetence person doesn't know what he's talking about But he starts talking about the Alaha Yeah, you could uh, if your wife wants you to go to uh, the beach for Shlombait, uh mixed speech, you should take her. For Shlombait. As if she wants to do it on Shabbat, that's good too. Same thing, like these these people say these things. I don't know where they get this stuff from. I don't know, maybe they're reading a comic book, they call it Torah. They see Wolverine and uh, and, and and his friends uh, on the beach, they say, Oh yeah, this guy's Bobby Rabbi, Rabbi, look at his beard. I don't know what they're thinking, My gosh, it's like the, it's like some of these people, this Dr I call his call shurim, that's bathroom Torah. Why? Because Mamash, the stuff that he says in every shiur, you're allowed to listen to him in the bathroom. I'm serious, I'm not joking. You're allowed to listen to him in the bathroom. He's Mamash, go on nifesh. He says things every shiur, Every shiur, is something against the Torah. Every shiur, like clockwork. So at least he talks for an hour. I can't listen to him for, for too long. But every shur that I've heard, every single time, you know, I breeze through it. There's always something. There's always shem achem. If I listen to every word, it'd probably be more. It's bathroom Torah. But people love the guy, so I know a bunch of people are gonna hate me for it. And say, oh, you're jealous, you're this. But Hashem, I have just as many followers. I'm not, uh, I'm not jealous of anybody. And even if I didn't have any followers, it make a difference. The reality is, there's truth, and then there's your opinion. Your opinion is irrelevant, irrelevant. If Moshe Rabenu, Moshe Rabenu, Kvodobim Komo, Moshe Rabenu comes tell you, listen, my opinion is this, Doesn't make a difference. I need to know what Hashem's opinion is. Meili says The reason that these specific sins bring the sword to the world is because the one who has been victimized By the perversion of justice May seek to take vengeance By killing the person responsible So he's a victim the guy you know you perverted justice against him You changed something The guy's gonna take, he's like, listen, I I was innocent, he judged me guilty, he ruined my life, he took my house, he took my wife, he took my kids, he took my this, he took my that, I'm gonna take revenge, I'm gonna kill him. You created a war with him, it's gonna create a war against you. Where justice prevails, brute strength can gain no foothold. But when justice is a sham, the sword of destruction swings freely. In so many words, the way that Hashem runs the world is with justice. So anytime you pervert it, he has to bring justice in a different way. Now Doresh Prakim gives a chidush. He says when approaching a case, a dayan, a judge, has to literally look at this case and at where he's at, as if there's a sword. At his neck. Meaning, if he makes the wrong judgment, it's a death penalty from Shamaim. Because this will give him the appropriate amount of irat Shamaim to not tamper with the truth. Which means that a judge that perverts the justice has apparently overlooked the imaginary sword. And therefore, Hashem must bring him the real one. There's really a sword in his neck because in case you, you can destroy somebody's life. Oh, you didn't notice? Okay, I'm going to bring you the real sword. Now you're not going to avoid seeing it. You're going to feel this one. It's not such an uh, easy thing. So, Mili Diavot says, Cherev. Cherev is the sword. It also comes from the root of the word Choban. Choban is destruction. So, if you notice, the three things. That are being destroyed here is perversion of justice, rendering decision contrary to halacha, and delaying justice, which in essence is justice, truth, and peace. All three of these things are being destroyed. Now, if you previous, if you go a year, approximately a year back, we go to Mishnah per one eighteen. Rabbi Shimon, um, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel says. The world stands on three things. What three things? Exactly this. Truth, justice, and peace. So by perverting peace, by perverting justice, by taking away the truth, you're destroying the world. That's the foundation of the world. Now, corruption, unfortunately, has always been the case. It's always been the case. There's always been corruption. Incompetence, unfortunately, causes a lot of corruption. Victims of corruptions have no end. People wanting to take revenge against corruption its since the beginning of time. None of this is really a chidush. But what's the source of all corruption? I thought about this, and I think it's true. Corruption, at its source, at its core... The beginning of all corruption begins with a lack of self-control. Why? Why did you corrupt judgment? Why did you corrupt anything? Why did you do something that was not right? Because you had a desire for something. And you knew that the only way to get it is by corrupting the system, by doing something that wasn't so good. Meaning that you couldn't even contain yourself to be patient enough for what you want to happen in a natural way. You couldn't contain your desire the root of all corruption is lack of control of desire therefore learning Musa from the Torah is the only way to fix it a lot of people want to fix corruption they start the anti-defamation league and the anti this league and anti that league and all these different anti corruption league and sometimes there's corruption inside those leagues Sometimes the non-profit organization is the most profitable organization. Sometimes the one that are supposed to save people kill the most people. Like this Planned Parenthood, it's a non-profit organization. First of all, they make a ton of money in profit. And second of all, they murder people left and right. They're not Planned and not Parenthood. It should be seen Planned Murder. There's abortion clinics. Why? they can control their they can't control their desire people simply can't control themselves and the only way to bring control the only way to end all this all of this corruption is with musa it's the only way why because musa is the only way that you can learn how to control yourself how to not be an animal how to simply not be an animal and people do not want to stop being animals they want to be animals now, we haven't talked about wigs in a long time. But today, a very dear friend of mine asked me a question. No, no, no. And there's a little bit of chidush about it, but also to summarize the whole thing of what's happened here. And he asked me a really good question. It's a multi part question. He said to me, how do we know, you know, we're saying that for years already, how do we know that the t-shirt or the honey or whatever other products you're getting that says made in India, also not Abu Dazzara. if you're saying that the, the wigs are Abu Dazzara, why isn't the honey Abu Dazzara and the t-shirt and the toy? And this. And further, wouldn't it make more sense if before we announce this to the world, we go get the approval of the Gdolay Adol, the biggest rabbis in the world, and they would issue something and it would go to the little people instead of the little people bringing up to the Gdolay Adol. And it wouldn't just necessarily be me. And also, is even, even so, even if there's a case here, the fact that there is Abu Dazzara in the world, is it still the same thing as Abu Dazzara that the Torah is talking about? Because the Abu Dazzara that the Torah is talking about, some of them had powers to really do stuff. So is Abu Dazzara still applicable? And further, it's been a, it's become an acceptable minag to wear wigs so why are you going to go out there and tell people you're not allowed to wear wigs because it's most likely from india and once it's from there the reality is that it's certain that it has source of avudazara so now not only are you going to make people go spend money to get change their lives and so on and lose money perhaps on wigs they have But also all the big rabbis that said it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. They all look foolish now. Isn't that uh, disrespecting of the Torah they have? So it's a multi-part question. So we'll answer all of them, Be'ezat Hashem, because it has a lot to do with everything that we're talking about. There's obviously much more to this Mishnah, but this specific question has apparently, Siyat Nishmayah, Half-hour before I arrived or uh, something like that An hour before I arrived. I got this question. I said this must be from shaman because You know, I don't usually get questions from him. Number one number two Somebody asked you a question right before she there's obviously there's something there So here we see that Ami is suffering an enormous amount of suffering right now Every other day we hear that there is an accident. There's a terrorist attack There is some tragic event to Amisrael, there's a disease, there's a fire, something's happening, there's something wrong in the water here, overdoses, bad things are happening to Amisrael despite the good condition that we're in. We're in a good situation technically right now where we have money, we have freedom, we even have our own land, even though there's still a lot of enemies, but still we have the freedom and we have the land, but yet we're clueless. We don't even know the hand that feeds us, and there's over a million Jewish kids in Israel that do not know Shema Yisrael. The average American Jew does not keep Shabbat. In fact, ninety percent of them do not, and even forty percent of the religious Jews say it's okay to you know it's okay to work on Shabbat, and they call themselves religious. So there's a lot of tragedies in ignorance in. What's happening to us as a people and I believe it has a lot to do with this Mishnah because if you notice the main reason why people justify continuing to wear wigs is because of somebody saying it's okay once they got their local rabbi to say it's okay it doesn't really matter why he said it's okay they just assume he's a rabbi, the other guy's a rabbi, he's a rabbi for longer, maybe he has more books on his shelf, maybe even has a longer beard, maybe he has more friends that are rabbis, maybe he's a better speaker, maybe he's better looking, maybe he has more kids. Meaning, all of the reasons of why I'm gonna listen to this one have nothing to do with the truth. It's just that he said it's okay. You're saying it's not, so it's a machloket, it's a debate. I'll take his side. Why? His side fits my life. I already have the wig. For you, I have to change what you're saying. It sounds okay. not saying it sounds terrible. But I have to change my life. I have to take off the wig. I have to put a I don't really like the way the mikbachat looks like. I have to change my life. The guy that's in my local Chabad, my local synagogue says it's okay, I'm going with him. Now once people have some more questions, they realize there's something wrong here. They say, oh, I have to go on a bigger rabbi. Oh, look, the, the Lubavitcher rabbi says wigs are okay. Yes, he said wigs are okay to a certain extent, but he didn't say Abu zarah is okay. Oh, yeah, Rabbi Belsky said it's okay. It's not really Abu zarah. Yeah, but you don't hold by Rabbi Belsky completely. You can't just take one al and pick with him. Meaning, we keep picking, choosing our decisions based on our convenience and not based on the truth. Which means that those of us that are making people believe that it's okay to wear the wigs have to understand that they are the biggest part of the problem in this generation I don't care if you're a leader or you're an average woman selling the wigs in your store or you're even wearing the wig telling wearing the wig telling other women you should also wear wigs you advocating it you're taking the problem on your shoulders I can tell you one thing, I'm not a prophet, I'm not even a dust under a prophet, but I can make common sense. A woman told somebody that sells wigs, listen, maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, she says, listen, this guy, I don't know him, but he brought some really serious facts to the table. You most likely are selling Abu Dzeri in your wig store. The woman says, leave me alone with this Abu Dazra. some other rabbi came bigger than him years ago. They uh, said yes, then they said no, I'm selling my wigs, so it's a big business. Less than a year passed, less than a year passed, a son has cancer right now and he's dying. A little son, little baby kid, has cancer now, lost all of his hair. He has cancer and he's dying. And people, oh, it's just bad luck. It's bad luck. Okay, people are going to... Hunt me down. Oh, yeah, you're saying wigs are cause of care. I'm not saying anything. All I'm saying, things are happening. Something's happening. Something's wrong in the water. Something's wrong here. It's not one event, two events, three events. We're talking about dozens of events happening. So now, let's answer the questions. First and foremost, Avodah Zarah applies in every single generation. Gemara, Masechet Avodah Zarah. Specifically says Avraham Avinu had 400 chapters to his tractate of Abu Zarah in comparison to us having only five chapters. She so said, What did he have so much more? He had a bigger Torah than us, 395. His Masechet Abu Zarah, his tractate, his teaching about idol worship was bigger than our entire Gemara. What did he have? First and foremost, you should know, there's a lot of forms of abu zarah Some of them are statues. Some of them are people. Some of them are money. Some of them are simply being angry. And Chachamim explained that all of those extra tractates were different forms of anger and bad midot and bad acts that led a person to idolatry. It's not just idol. There's 400 different types of idols or 4 million types of idols. Different forms of idolatry, meaning that idolatry applies today and forever and never changed. This is why when Yeshua Benun, the Dola that took control after Moshe Rabenu, came into Eretz Yisred, first mitzvah he got from Hashemit Barach, Brit Mila. Second mitzvah, destroy all of the Asher trees. Why? Somebody bowed to those trees one time, they officially became a part of Abu Dazarah. Yeah, but we're not going to worship them. It doesn't make a difference. Once something becomes avodah zarah, once something becomes a korban, the only mitzvah you can fulfill with it is destroy it. It has no right to exist. You can't sell it. You can't eat it. You can't even keep it there. Exist. You cannot allow it to exist. You must destroy it from the world. This is why, by the way, anyone that brought that bought the book that I told you guys about the blessings and which blessing to do on what, if you look at the back of the book. The At the back of the book, it tells you about special blessings, above and beyond food and so on. The special blessings of when you see interesting things. If you see a strange looking person, there's a special blessing to, to do. If you see a, uh, a, a church, you're supposed to do a blessing. that Blessed is Hashem that he will destroy the idolatry from the world. You're supposed to bless Hashem, that Be'ezrat Hashem, he's going to destroy this church. That's the reality, Rabotai. Idolatry is detestable. It's To'ayvat Hashem. It's disgusting to Hashem. Anyone that has a little bit of yirat Shemayim would look into this further before they put Abu Zarah, even a potential Abu Zarah on their head. You have to double-check this. How could you take a risk to put something that Hashem says is disgusting to me A Amechalel Shabbat is considered an idolater. Someone drives on Shabbat, smokes a cigarette on Shabbat, is considered 100% an idol worshipper. According to the Torah, Ilchot Shabbat and the Rambam, chapter 30, last alacha. Now, so Avodah Zarah never ceases to exist. Sometimes it's money, sometimes it's a person, it can even be a rabbi, it can be a lot of different things. That's one. Two, how do we know it's not the T-shirts and the... Uh, Mustards and the honeys and all the other products coming from India because According to our research the only thing that we saw Being used on a massive scale as a sacrifice To the idols was the wigs now of course There's 80,000 different cults and religions in India and places like that and they use other things as, as, uh, as sacrifices for other gods for example there is a one God that's a motorcycle, a Hartley Davidson motorcycle. I'm serious. I have the pictures if you guys want to see. There's a motorcycle that's tied to a tree that they pray to this motorcycle. So obviously, that motorcycle, you can't use it. You can't ride this motorcycle as a Jew or anyone because it's an idol. If someone gave, I don't know, a dove or a piece of chocolate or a p- bottle of water or a piece of paper or anything to this idol, you can't use it anymore. You have to destroy it. Even if it's just a motorcycle, which is as stupid as it gets doesn't make a difference whether it's stupid or not all idolatry is stupid Once it's used as a koban once it's associated with idolatry finished Now they also have an idol, which is they have one temple in India Full of there's a huge pool in the middle of the temple full of milk Why because the gods come and drink what God they have rats they have a hundred thousand rats filling this temple drinking this, this milk, and I have pictures of this also if you want to see. And people go as tourists, Tourists take pictures and they stand next to these rats. Somebody sees a rat in the New York subway, they complain to the government. Over there they go see them, 100,000 of them, it's much disgusting. Then there's other people that pray to trees, pray to cows, pray to different types of idolatry, and all of them bring different sacrifices. Sometimes they bring money. Sometimes they bring this. But the most common thing is hair. Why? It's part of the general population's culture to the extent that over 20 million people in India sacrifice their hair every year. Every year. This is more than the rest of the world combined by a magnitude of a thousand. You can't compare the two. Meaning, it's over 90% of the hair that's produced in the world that's coming from there. It's the only place big enough to make a market. Like some people said, yeah, but what about this hair coming from Cambodia? I said Cambodia, the entire population of Cambodia, all of Cambodia, forget the donors of hair, all of Cambodia is 17 million. The entire population is 17 million. So let's just say all of the Cambodians decided tomorrow, we're all going to go bald. We're all going to shave. That's not even the market of the Indian market for one year. And now, once all the Cambodians went bold, hypothetically speaking, that's it. That killed that market for eight, nine years because it takes a long time to grow hair. So even if all the Cambodians shave their head tomorrow, hypothetically speaking, you're still not matching the Indian market every year. Meaning the only way you could ever make a market to have wigs is from India. There's no other market like it. Not from China, not from Cambodia, not from anywhere. Because even if you calculate that, let's say, for example, in China, they don't give it to gods, but they give it to dead people. They take to shave the head of the dead people. Shave the head of dead people in in, in China. And they sell that hair. So let's you say, okay, so there's a lot of people that die every year. They shave the head. First and foremost, you're not allowed to have that hair because from a dead person, according to halacha. But second of all, even if you took the hair of all the dead people in all of the world, not just China, all of the world, the entire world, dead people, how much is that? 18 million. 18 million people die every year. That's it. Meaning it's not just China's market. All the dead people in the world, one of the new customs, laws, whatever you want to do it, shave their head and sell it as a wig to a Bat Israel. Okay, 18. That still does not match the living market of India. Do you understand? It's, for all of those that are trying to argue, how do you know it's from India? How do you know it's from India? I'm an, econ- I'm an economist. This is what I did for a living for 20 years. Come on all the rabbis, but this is what I do forget about whether its wigs or its toy supplies or coffee the product is irrelevant This is what we did so now Once you understand That a certain product was used as a korban, as a sacrifice. That's it only mitzvah to fulfill at that point is destroying it You're not allowed to use it benefit from it. You're not even allowed to look at it really so now what about the next thing? Why don't we just go to the Doleado and have them say something? The good news is people for some reason think that I'm the only guy fighting this battle. Maybe I started it, maybe I didn't. I don't really care. I don't want any credit for anything. First and foremost, the original idea came from Rabbi Yashiv. Rabbi Yashiv, Alaba uh, Shalom, uh, in 2004, he's the original one that found out this is idolatry. But then the whole fake kosher wig... Thing came into the market, and after they burned tons of wigs in Yerushalayim, in America, in different parts of the world, it went back into the market because of this kosher wig scam that we have in the world today, and since then, since 2004. So I just revived it, or maybe I was one, I don't really know what the point is. It doesn't really make a difference. The key is whether it started alone or not is irrelevant, because right now, it's already been for a few years, we've been talking about this we're no longer alone there's a huge organization a in Israel religious jewish hasidus organization in Israel that has been part of it and has done even further research than what we did we helped as much as we can with people in india that looked and went to the temples and spoke to the uh, to the uh, to the uh, people that are I don't know, whatever you want to call them priests spoke to the people there spoke to the to the donors we it's not just i looked at uh uh, YouTube videos only. I decided, okay, uh, you know, that's it. Everybody is uh, an idol worshiper. Before we came out, I mean, we had to do a lot of research. Didn't just you don't just say to people. By the way, most of the religious Jews in the world have an idol on their head. You don't just you have, you, have to be a, you have to be a psychopath to do such a thing. So now, before we came out, we double check with our rabbis. We double check with the information. We triple check, quadruple check. Now, Bo Hashem, we're no longer alone, as a huge organization put together. They've officially put together a 300 page book that was recently published online and is being printed at Hashem that has been sent to many of the Gdole And many of these Gdole have already signed off. It's not only that wigs are idolatry, it's a million percent. It's not possible, it's a million percent. Now it's in Hebrew. We're trying to this is a rabbinical version. It has a lot of intricate parts of Allah It's 300 pages We're trying to get a simpler version translated to English, which is probably going to be 50 60 pages To the general consumer. I mean anyone that can read details of Allah can probably read Hebrew also But the ones that don't know probably want an easier version. We're trying to get it We just need a little bit of money to get put things together, but the point being is that this is already out, and many rabbis have already put an Askamane, it, put it in their Keilot, had the people in the key lot take off the wigs, burn them. It's already very big in Israel, Ba'u Hashem. Unfortunately, the Galut, the exile, the Mitzrayim that we're in, the Egypt that we're in, has a bigger yetzara. So it hasn't arrived here to the same extent, it hasn't been received here to the same extent. There's a lot more problems in America, in Europe, in the exile. But eventually it's going to come out. The truth will eventually come out. But the point being here is that we're no longer the only guy with a beard talking about this being Avodazara. There's many that are part of it, much, much greater than I can ever be, that have signed off that these wigs are Avodazara from India and so on and so forth. Anyone that wants to know it, no problem, we'll send you the book. No problem, it's online, the digital version. Uh, once we have a hard copy, we'll send hard copies, but most likely it's going to be all digital versions. For any rabbi that wants it, we can get it to them. That rabbinical copy is already finished. We can also send it to regular people, also. But I just think that most regular people most likely are going to uh, want something a little simpler. Either way, it's available. So as far as waiting for the you know the system, the big rabbis to do something, and then the little guy says, the Torah doesn't work that way. <speaking in Hebrew> In a place that there's no leader you be the leader if there's something if you see that your brother and your sister is standing on train tracks and the train is coming you're not going to wait until his mom or dad come to tell him to move you're not going to go hey, you know what i'm going to tell on you okay hey uh mrs jones your son is in you're not going to do that why the train's coming It's not enough time he's in danger she's in danger even if you don't like the guy you're gonna say listen Get out of the way. The train's coming. The fact that they didn't say anything, they didn't do anything, is not my problem. I'm just trying to save you. I'm going to tell you what it says. You do whatever you want. You want to stay on the train tracks? Enjoy. The train's coming. You guys are going to get to know each other intimately. You're going to get to know each other really well soon. You want to Move. Move. The fact that your rabbi doesn't agree, or didn't tell you, or the biggest rabbi is, it's not my problem, it's not your problem either. The problem is what's the truth and what's a lie. If I'm giving you a 300 page book, proving it. If I'm showing you already lecture after lecture after lecture with more and more material, proving it. We already have, I don't know how many, how much time in lectures, proving the case with new information every time. What else do you want? You want the Mashiach himself to come and says take off your wig. What else do you want? You almost know, says. Hey, by the way, Tzavodazara. What do you want? But called to come down from Shemayim. Hey, listen, Tzavodazara. What do you want? The reality is, even if the Chabadnik, some of them are so stubborn sometimes that even if the Lubavitcher Rebbe came down, came back from the dead, told him, "By the way, no more way and Said, "No, no, you're not a Rebbe anymore. We have a new guy." People are so stubborn. Just like we read in the beginning, the Prophet Malachi was saying. We're so stubborn, sometimes we don't even realize we're sinning. What do we do? So, as far as the system, waiting for the big rabbis to live, it's not the way the Torah works. You're all responsible for two things. Number one, you must rebuke your brother. You see your brother sinning, you have to tell him. Second thing is, you cannot stand over his blood. You see your brother. your brother is about to kill himself, about to hurt himself by a certain sin. You can't just sit there and do nothing. You have to save him. You have to do something. You cannot stand over his blood. She's wearing a wig. You know for sure that it's 99.9% chance it's Avodah You can't just do nothing. Now, I'm not telling you to start pulling people's hair off and see if it's a wig, if it's not. I'm not doing that. We're not crazy people. But to just remain quiet, sit there pretty, and say, oh, no, no, Hashem will judge. Hashem is judging you too. Hashem is judging you too for not saying anything. So, as far as waiting for the system for the big rabbis, that's not the way the Torah works. Next thing is, was a very interesting question. I so said, What about all the rabbis that perhaps don't know, good rabbis, tzaddikim? They don't know the information. They don't know about the Abu Dazzara part. And I've been saying it's okay now. And maybe they passed on already. Maybe they're still alive. They say it's okay. They don't know it's Abu zarah. So, wouldn't. You publicizing it to the public and causing so much uproar and confusion, wouldn't that you know, embarrass those big rabbis? Rabotai, the Mishnah in Masechet Sanhedrin, we learn from Parashat Balak and Pinchas, the Maaseh of Pinchas killing Zimri and kozbi before he went and killed them, he went to Moshe Rabenu. He said to Moshe Abenu, Moshe, isn't the that we learned from Hashemid Bach in Mount Sinai that if a Jewish man is intimate with a Jewish woman and you see them in the middle of the act and you're a zealous, you're allowed to kill them? Moshe Rabenu. Says yes, I forgot the ala'cha. You remembered it. You said it. Go do it. And Pinchas, who later on, became a Went and killed Zimri, the leader of the uh, of of the Shimon tribe, the Gdolado, the biggest rabbi in the world in the shimon's tribe, and Kozbi, the the, the goyad, killed them together while they were in the act. And Hashem blessed him to become a queen gadol. Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron a kohen. And said, "You're gonna live forever." He became Eliyahu Navi, who never died, and that's why he's gonna come three days before Mashiach comes. Why? Because in order for the Mashiach to become a prophet, before the Mashiach become a king, and so on, an existing prophet has to be here. We don't have prophets anymore. Hashem says, "I'm gonna return." The only prophet that's still alive, who Eliyahu Anavi. So now. Khamim asked, wait a minute, and Sanedrin says, wait a minute, wait a minute, this Mishnah, this Mishnah says you're not allowed to go say Allah in front of your rabbi. You're not allowed to say Allah in front of your rabbi. Just said it now. Somebody asked a question, the rabbi has the answer, not you. But Pinchas, what did he do? He said it. He said, Hey Moshe, you're the rabbi. Don't you remember the do?" So how could he say Allah in front of his own rabbi and then get rewarded for it nonetheless? The mishnah says the gemara says what in a place that there is chilul hashem there's no honor consideration to the rabbi if this chilul hashem if hashem's name is being desecrated there's no regard whatsoever to any rabbi's kavod respect honor nothing that's why anytime we go and we say things publicly it's not that I want to insult people or go to the wars. I have nothing to do with my life. I'm bored. Oh, let's pick a war with uh, this guy. Let's pick a war with that guy. Let's go pick a war with this guy. I have nothing to do with my life. I want to spend my time with my kids, my wife. I barely see them. If it wasn't Shabbat, I wouldn't see them. People need help 24 hours a day. You think I have nothing to do with my life. But the reality is no one else is talking. So what are you going to do? Baal Hashem, Rabbi Mizrahi's has been talking for 24 years. Baal Hashem, you say, okay, I gotta join the club. Why? Where well, is he gonna do everything by himself? Few are talking. You see something, well, one must say, oh, maybe you should say something, you do it, you do it. No such thing. Place this Chilul Hashem, there's no regard whatsoever to the, the honor of the rabbi. You see that there's Chilul Hashem, the rabbis that are not saying the truth. That there are people that literally are benefiting from Abu Zarah, and the reality is no one is saying anything. You must say something. When I saw the video that uh, Jonathan Sachs made with the debate with the atheist, and he called Havai, he called Eve a prostitute, and said that it's all just one parable, it's not a real story, I went out and I said, listen, this, this what he's saying is heresy. It doesn't matter that he used to be the rabbi of England and he wrote a, n- a million books and he's old and he's a nice guy and he's, it doesn't make a difference. Chilul Hashem. Chilul Hashem is desecration of Hashem's name. Bnot Yisrael HaKdoshim, the daughter of Israel, the holy ones. They don't even know they're holy sometimes but they don't realize when there's a wig on their head it's Chilul <laughs> Hashem. It's Khilul Hashem if it's Abudazera. It's Abudazera, and I'm telling you, we did the research. And you don't believe us? Now you're gonna have 300-page book coming out. 300 pages proving it, page after page after page after page. Interviews. I mean, there's much more than what they what even what they're releasing. There's much more than that. The point is, it's not an opinion. It's not a machloket. There's no machloket here. There's truth. There's a lie so we're not concerned about oh this one's going to be embarrassed that one's going to be embarrassed this one's going to be offended that one's going to be offended all we care about is hashem going to be offended is but israel going to be offended is but israel going to go up to shamayim and they're going to punish her for something she didn't even know she was doing wrong her son got cancer she doesn't even realize it because of what she has on her head sometimes or what she did in our job sometimes or what's happening in the world? Somebody has to say something. If I have to be the Koban, Ba'u Hashem. Let me be the Koban. What do I care? If I want to go make money, I go back to Wall Street. So the reality is, Rabbutai, all of these issues that people are asking about, the rabbis, the system, the Gdolay the this, the that, it's all literally. to dressed. dressed. Toll have been addressed. It's gonna continue being addressed. What's happening in Israel is gonna to continue to grow. People that are doing chuhvah, Bo Hashem will continue to do chuvah. Many women Bo Hashem have sent me pictures of their wigs being burned. Many women Bo Hashem have sent me stories, emails that they sometimes they even from Chabad, they put a mitpachat on, some send pictures, some send just a story an email. Bo Hashem, people are waking up, but it's still not enough. Still not enough. We still need a lot more. This book will help. The emails will help. Spreading the message will help. Even a clip from this lecture will help. The point is it's all going to help. But only thing that will help in the end is Tshuva. People actually doing Tshuva. People do chuva, We have nothing to worry about. People don't do Tshuva. We have everything to worry about. So the problem is is that just like there's corruption in politics, there's also corruption in religion. Judaism is not excluded from corruption. And this whole business of kosher wigs is 100% the biggest corruption that has happened at least in the last 150 years, if not ever, to the nation of Israel. Because it's 100% corruption lying to people's faces and telling them that they know how to verify whether a wig is from idolatry or not. If anyone that spent a few minutes researching how they make wigs will see it's literally impossible. Literally impossible to verify a a single wig, forget about all the wigs, a single wig. If it came from idolatry or not. Impossible. Why? Because they mix the hair, they measure it based on length, meaning that every wig has multiple types of hair, multiple heads, it's impossible. What do they do? They send a rabbi there once every several months just so they can collect a paycheck and the rabbi smells the hair. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is not idolatry. It's like, they're, they're, they're just fooling people, fooling people in front of their faces, and people are like, yeah, yeah, but my rabbi said it's okay. What is it like? Some people made videos online about how some companies, Ba'oh not kosher companies, non-kosher companies, They make hot dogs, and to make hot dogs, all the types of uh, that type of meat, they take all the nastiest stuff. I mean, all the nastiest stuff left from the animals—the feet, the hooves, the 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 legs, the the eyes, whatever you can. Pretty much everything. No one else wants to eat. And they put it into a mixer. They make it into a paste. They put some sauce on it. You eat it and, wow, yummy. Delicious. It tastes delicious. Can't deny it. tastes delicious. Then they, so, then they take out, there's the one that came from, a, you know, good parts, came from a bad parts, tastes the same thing. You can't taste the difference. But what's the difference here? The one that they gave you all the garbage, they made you believe it came from good stuff too. What is that like? It's a, Yetzah will make you eat garbage your whole life. Make you think it's kosher. Make you think it's good. Make you think it's mitzvah. But all the while, you're eating garbage. Why? You didn't check. You did not check. You did not verify. You just assumed, oh, some guy said it's okay. Okay, he happens to be a rabbi. Okay, he happens to be the local rabbi. Okay, he happens to have a book or two books or 20 books or 30 books. It doesn't make a difference. You still have to pay a dean for yourself. You have to pay a dean for yourself. You want to sell wigs? You want to sell unkosher uh, food, unkosher products? Enjoy. We're just here to provide information. You want to do it? At least you were warned. Can't go up to Shemaim and Says no one told me. Someone told you. Look, it was a lecture. You watched it. You cursed the guy out. You sent him a few hate mails too. You continued telling like no nothing, nothing, nothing was wrong the next day. No problem. At least you won. Why? In Shamaim after you see the video, say you're gonna say you're gonna say to Hashem, Hashem, I deserve the punishment. Please punish me. Which chamber? According to the original halacha, a woman is supposed to cover her hair with a mitbacher, with a hat or a scarf. But 400 years ago, a debate began based on a translation of a verse in the Gemara, Masechet Shabbat, that uh, was misunderstood to mean that you're allowed to wear a wig without a hat on top of it. So some people in the Ashkenazi world, specifically. I've translated that that you're allowed to wear a wig by itself, and now we have a 400-year makhloket But that's not the problem. We're not debating whether a wig was ever allowed or not. That's irrelevant. There's plenty of poskim that say that it's not allowed. There's a few poskim that say it is allowed, but that's not really relevant. That's not the debate. The debate is not that or that. The debate is that right now anyone that is going to do research into the wig market will see that wigs have. A source their source where they're coming from is India and from India they're using it as a koban as a sacrifice to their idols Once something is used as for idolatry it's no longer permitted for anyone to use not a Jew not a non Jew especially not a Jew so the point is that it's irrelevant whether a wig is allowed and which posec you want to rely on that allows it doesn't allow it that's irrelevant this is a new thing it's avodah zarah. No one permits avodah zarah. There's not a single prosec in the history of mankind that allows uh, avodah The only ones that, uh, for example, Rabbi Belsky, Allah Shalom says that he doesn't. He didn't believe that the Wigs from India were avodah zarah. But I don't believe. That Kvodobim Komo, I don't believe he did anywhere near the amount of research we did, nor did he have the expertise we do in the market of doing research. That's why he did for 20 years. So needless to say, there's there's enough evidence that is available today that he didn't have available to him at the time he did research anyway. There's evidence today that he didn't have. So even if it wasn't when he was checking it, it's still irrelevant because today... 100% Abu Dhabi Uh, The evidence that we have is from today. It's not from 20 years ago. It's not from 10 years ago. It's not even from 2 years ago. It's from today. Today, right now. Would it still be a question whether it's a lot of money if it came from a place that wasn't, let's say, sacrificed to to, to their gods? I don't understand. If it's sacrifice, if it's Abu Dhabi it's not allowed. Let's say the wigs were were made somewhere else. Or let's say... If if the wig is coming from a different place, then it's a different issue. But what we proved is that the overwhelming majority of the Whig market is coming from India, to such an extent that it's impossible for anyone to verify whether their wig came from India or not, because the overwhelming majority is coming from India. You came a little late, you missed about 90% of the lecture, so uh, just listen to the lecture tomorrow and you'll see probably all the rest of your questions answered. Any other questions?
1: Concerning uh, the involvement Because from what I was saying earlier, every time the, we became our worst enemies, it was it seems to be always because of a matter of ideologies. Like um, socialism or communism. And Jews started these things. Mm-hmm. And when they joined um, the adversaries against our own kind was also a matter of ideology against the Torah. Mm-hmm. And today we see different ideologies Or, um, Lefty, whatever, liberal, all that stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, What's the question? It's not necessarily those things go against the Torah when you look at them. Okay. At the very basis. So, why do Jews today find it okay to support any of these things, given their history of driving?
0: Some people have a yetzera to waste seed. Sometimes by themselves, sometimes because they want a new girlfriend every week or every day. Some people have a Yetzirah to go to a casino and gamble. Some people have a Yetzirah to overeat. They eat every time they eat, it's as if they haven't eaten since the Holocaust. People love to eat in synagogues for some reason. Every time you say there's food in a synagogue... People eat in the synagogue but they haven't eaten the whole day, even though it's the third meal of the day already. On Shabbat they say Sudash Lishit, everybody comes to Sudash Lishit. They already ate enough for an entire civilization, but Sudash Lishit, everybody eats, and if there's a shortage of one salad, they complain to the rabbi, ah this uh, the synagogue's no good, I'm not coming back next week. They have a desire for food, they have a yetzerah for food. Some people have a yetzerah for money, they chase money like it's God Himself. Some people, have yet sarraf a kavod. What's kavod? Kavod is all types of things. Kavod comes in different ways. It comes from people saying you're smart, it comes from people saying that you are clever. And you actually got things done in your own ingenious way, not necessarily based on your IQ, but rather because you're you're able to figure things out. Some people Get kavod just simply because of certain work that they do, or certain people they associate with, or certain places they go to, and so on and so forth. The point is, is that if you don't mind to stop, you're right in front of me and you're doing yeah, that. It's sorry. very, very aggravating. Sorry, sorry. You're, you're literally no, three feet away from me. I am I'm, like, see you. No, I apologize. No, I was getting a message. Uh, me too. I get messages all the time. I'm not answering in the middle of the lecture. So, the Yetzarah that causes the first guy to waste seed, the second guy to drive on Shabbat, the third guy to do all the whole list—same Yetzara. So that guy, Yetzarah, comes to the guy and says, "Listen, why be just an average Jew? Go be a leader. Now you're not going to be gedolado in Torah. You just barely keep Shabbat. It's going to politics. Fight for Am Yisrael." As a leader in today's society, going up as a politician, put a keep on, pretend like you're really religious, pretend like you really care about Torah, but that way you're going to help Am Israel. Okay, you go there, he gets the job to do, do, do. Satan has a lot of money and a lot of connection. He puts the same guy in position time after time that has the worst possible potential to do the job right. He puts him there, all of a sudden the guy forgets he's religious. The keeper gets smaller and smaller. The Torah gets weaker and weaker, and little by little he becomes supporter of the lefty liberal movement, supporter of uh, the gay rights, supporter of Christian and Jews working together, and all types of things that are anti-Torah. Why? Same Yitzra. That's why the Gemara says in Masechet Shabbat, somebody that gets angry, simply angry, is like an idol worshiper. Why? Because he's following the Yetzirah everywhere he takes him. Yetzar takes it tells him today, go over here, he goes. Tomorrow he tells him go over here, he goes. The next day he says, go over here, go over, go to the mall, go to the movies, go to the beach, go to the store, go to this, go, 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 go. He keeps following him. Eventually that same Yetzara says, go to idolatry, and he's gonna go. Why? He's used to it. He's used to listening to the Yetzarah. He got to a point where fighting the Yetzara, it's not for him anymore. He doesn't even know what to do. He doesn't know what to do, he got used to it. This also answers the question for all of those people that ask the question, well, how come Ami that was in Egypt for 210 years, saw the miracles that happened to Ami and the plagues and so on. How come they didn't want to do Chua? Why did Hashem have to kill at least 80% of them? Didn't they see the miracles? They got used to being slaves. They got used to worshipping idols. They got used to doing things against Hashem. They got used to the Yetzirah. Once you get used to being a slave, changing is a very, very big undertaking. Oh Chaim Akador says they got used to the Abu Dazara Mamash. Yeah, but you saw God is real. Yeah, but I still miss my Abu Dhazara. I still miss my wig. I still miss my statue, my Buddha, my JC Penny, my Yeah, but you know that God's real I know He's real. But maybe this is too. Meaning everybody wants a guy. Okay, this one's number one. Maybe I have a number two. Rational the Yetzara will make you rationalize in any way to get himself in. To get himself in. Yeah, but would you say a person like ben Shapiro, falls into that you were talking about before? He's a conservative Republican. He's anti-abortion, anti-gay, anti- you
1: know, very nice.
0: I'm not a judge or a jury of people. I'm a judge of a jury of what things I see. You know, just like you're supposed to be, just like any Jew is supposed to be, and any person for that matter. If a person violates the name of Hashem, then he's a Rasha. If he does it on a regular basis, then he's also a mean. Uh, If a person violates Shabbat, he could potentially be violating Shabbat because he's ignorant But if he does it after you tell him regularly and he says I believe in God, but I don't believe in anything else Then you have a serious problem point being is that everybody and you're not judge of people I'm not here to talk about specific people unless those people lead other people to sin like the ones I mentioned earlier today As far as as far as Ben Shapiro what he stands for what he does all that stuff I don't really know enough about him to tell you to give you an opinion of him nor do I know his personal life I know that the few things that I did here as far as he stands against abortion and so on. Yeah, that's because he has a keep on his head and he's a Jew. And he believes that the Torah says to, you know, to at least that regard. Everything else, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a judge or a jury, nor am I even interested in being a judge or a jury. It's not my business to be a judge or a jury. Hashem already does that for all of us. The key is for people to know is there's only a single Torah. There's no multiple opinions. There's one Torah. There's one emet. If Hashem says you're not allowed to go to the beach, that's it. It doesn't make a difference what your rabbi says and what your friends say and what you say and what uh, anyone says. Not allowed to go. Why? It's considered Gelou Mixed beach, mixed dancing, mixed sweating, mixed uh, bar mitzvah, all of those things where there's uh, all types of immodesty. You're not allowed to go there. It's better off you die and don't go there to that extent. So. If somebody tells you otherwise, they're simply lying to you. Why? Because what I'm saying has a source. What they're saying doesn't. It just has their opinion. Do you understand? So, the point is, is that I don't really care the names, the numbers, the, the that stuff doesn't make a difference. What makes a difference is that people need to know the truth, and everybody has to, their own yetzer to deal with, their own yetzer to beat, to overcome, that yetzer and to fulfill the truth. They don't want to fulfill it. Okay, there's enough place in Gainum for them too if they do fulfill it and they pass the test, Hashem is looking for them. Why He you want people to join Gan Eden. But that's why there's Gan Eden there's Ganom too. There's a door in both places. You choose which one you want to go to. I'm just delivering the message. That's all I am. I'm only a vessel. Bezal HaShem will be a good vessel. Next question. Hold on, hold on. Next question. which ideologies
1: like, politics and stuff like that. like that
0: yeah this whole issue of jews becoming part of politicians goes back many many years all the way to the days of the Megillat shel of mordechai yehudi the first time in the entire tanakh that it says the word yehudi is Megillat still first time and it says who was the first, who is the yehudi mordechai how do we know is yehudi the Benish allah a Shalom says his payers was so big that you could identify that he's a Jew from a mile away. Mordechai Chayyudi, he didn't pretend to be an Arab. He didn't to pretend to be an Iranian, a Persian, uh, a Turk. He didn't pretend to be a Jew, a hundred percent, no questions asked. Mod Chayyudi. The Mod was also one of the top people in the Sanhedrin. He was the number four position in the Sanhedrin. But at the end of Megillat Esther, it says that not everyone, not everyone agreed with Mordechai, meaning not everyone was happy with him. Why? He became number five. How did he go down a level? Because he became a politician. Yeah, but he saved all of Am Yisrael. Does it make a difference? He would have saved Am Yisrael anyway as a Sanhedrin. How? Let's make a difference? It's not yours to decide how. You should have been a Sanhedrin, doing the job of the Sanhedrin. You decide to be a politician, fine. So now you're number 5 instead of number four. Still tadik, still Kadosh, but not the ultimate level. Another thing is, it says in the Gemara, Bet Shemai Bet Hillel, you heard of them? You heard Bet Shemai Bet Hillel? Yeah. Okay. Before Bet Shemai Bet Hillel began, it was Bet Hillel with someone else. So they ask. G'ma asks, "Where to let someone else go?" As I forget the name, where did someone else go? So G'ma says, "Ah, he went to Tarbut Ra. He became a heretic. Heretic? Wow, Chavut he Av Beit became a heretic? Like, no, we don't really mean a heretic. Sadiq, but he just became a politician. Yeah, but he's helping Amislet. Yeah, but he's a politician." Instead of being habuta with Betty Lev, you become a politician. Is something wrong with you? Okay, so Bet Shammai took the role. Bet took the role. Meaning that, as far as Torah is concerned, you have no business whatsoever being in those positions unless it's a must. Rabban Gamliel, Rabbi Uda Anasi, the, the, the nation has to have a leader representing them and so on. But to go into office and all of that stuff, if you were doing the will of Hashem, if Am Israel would do the will of Hashem, we wouldn't even need politicians at all. Why? The entire world will be Jewish. The entire world will be Jewish. The entire world will be serving the. Jew- the entire world will be days of Mashiach. There will be no war. There will be no disagreements. There will be no weapons even. If we did the will of Hashem and learning Torah and fulfilling the Torah. Politicians and things of that nature wouldn't exist. They wouldn't even be doctors. That's days of Mashiach. But the reason why we have all of this is because we're not doing the will of Hashem. So Hashem loves us and he still saves us and he still helps us. But the point is is that the clock's running out for all of those that don't want to do chuba. So, I mean there's a uh, there's a lot of interesting things that happen in the world that are trying to wake people up. And I think that what's happened today with uh, Netanyahu and this uh, J.C. Penny advocate going into office, I think it's another sign to Ami said that Mashiach is very close because realistically, if, if, if too, too much time passes between now and Mashiach, he's not going to have many, many people to save. The Al-Hashem people are doing chuba, but there's a lot of people going off to derech too because there's so much confusion and so much things that are against the Torah, people are starting to think it's okay. So, Hashem, these, uh, these things will help Am Yisrael wake up a little more. Yeah. What I understand. Wouldn't it make more sense if Mashiach would have came, let's say, 200 years ago when every Jew back then was keeping Shabbat? Last I checked, I'm not God. I don't run the world. It's God's world. I don't run it for him. I don't run to run God's world. What makes sense for me to think, for, to think, forget to say, for me to think, to think, that anything that ever happened in the history of mankind history of mankind, and you can include the worst possible things, Egypt, pogroms, inquisitions, holocaust, AIDS, cancer, September 11th, whatever you want to count. For me, or any Jew, to think there is a better option than that, that Hashem should have done, is 100% heresy against Hashem. Heresy, heresy, heretic, heresy. Such an extent, I'll tell you. So one of the tzaddikim in a previous generation Went and had a uh, Pain in his uh, pain And he went To a uh, doctor Doctor says yes we, uh, we have to um, there's Something wrong with your leg To save your life we have to chop your leg off He says okay I have to chop my leg off Chop my leg off to save my life right? It's better to chop a leg off Than to chop a life off Right? Yeah. So that's what he does and he chops off the leg. Shem and after the surgery, they realized that there's a mistake in the file. They took his file, mixed it up with a different person's file, and they realized that his file was actually just a uh, you know, just an abscess, small abscess that could have fixed. No need to chop the leg off, no need to chop anything off. So they tell his family, and they don't know what to do. Doctors don't know what to do. So now the family is all embarrassed. Uh, you know, the father just chopped his leg off. Tzaddik, kadosh. I mean, just lost his leg. A Khan. Imagine that. Who's gonna tell him? What are we gonna tell him? How are we gonna tell him? No one knows what to do. One of the people in the family, one of the cousins, didn't have exactly the best midot in the world as far as controlling his speech. So he didn't hesitate and didn't wait and didn't anything. He went straight up and went to the rabbi. He says, by the way, you know, they chopped off your leg. It was a mistake. The rabbi answers him. He says, what I learned from my rabbis is words that just came out of your mouth. The words that just came out of your mouth is 100% heretical. You are a kofel." He tells his own family, "Kofel." There's no such things as mistakes in the world. If Hashem didn't want my left leg to be chopped off, it would not be chopped off. Which means, if it got chopped off, that means Hashem signed off, chopped off. You saying something else is a mistake. Your He said, There's no family. Your kufel. Who is this, Rabbi Leib Globerman? Rabbi Leib Globerman, a shalom. So. To say that wouldn't it make sense? and wouldn't it make sense? It wouldn't it make sense? There's actually a very very dangerous pasuk in the Torah for people that say such things. You should never say such things because it's in essence telling Hashem. By the way, I think that if I had your job, I'd do better. That's what it says. To me. If I had your job, I think you'd do better. To say that to me, maybe you would do better. To say it to Hashem, for sure you're wrong. So. The thing is though is that we have to be careful with the words we say because even though it's innocent even though it means well You got to think you got to think 500 times before any words leave your mouth. That's why you have two ears one mouth. Listen double the amount of time that you speak Listen double the amount of time that you speak That's why you're supposed to show up to the shoe at the beginning of the year instead of the end of this year Because that way you listen to everything that was said before and be able to have more information before you ask questions but It's very very important for everyone to know There is no such thing as a mistake in the world. There's no such thing as a mistake in the world. There's no happenstance. There's no coincidence. There's no nothing. Everything that happens in the world, Hashem signs off. Allowed, not allowed. 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 Nothing in the world happens without that.
1: Yeah, but can't you argue the same thing for? Let's say uh, they put an innocent man to death.
0: No such thing. No such thing as. An innocent man to death. Yeah, but didn't the Chavetz Chaim or one of these big guys ask, uh, ask a, a goy in charge of something, that, how do you know the people you're executing are really 100% guilty? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, based on, on what you are saying before, if an innocent person gets put to death, I mean doesn't really deserve it. Anyone that dies deserves to die. Anyone that even loses a fingernail deserves to lose a fingernail. We don't know necessarily the reason for it. We don't know the Heshbonot of Shamayim. We're not doing Hashem's accounting But there's a principle in the Torah. There's no suffering without sin no. Sometimes the sin happened five minutes before sometimes it happened 500 years before It's not our business. It's not our world to run Only thing that's in our hands is the decisions we make We make decisions of whether to listen to Hashem or not. It's the only thing everything else is not in our hand whether we live or die is not in our hands whether we're tall short rich poor married single uh, healthy sick all of those things are not in our hands the only thing that's in our hands is whether we do what hashem said or not that's the only thing that's in our hands everything else hashem runs the world to think for a moment that we're in control of our own destiny as far as whether we're going to be rich or poor Or Married or single or have kids or don't have kids is completely Misunderstanding of the Torah. I'm going to tell you a story. I heard twice today was the second time To explain to you guys what is real emunah most people like to talk about emunah But most people don't know the concept of what emunah really means Now this story I heard from the person that saw the story Not some person that told the story and told the story and told the story in 500 years past and we don't know if it's the same story it happened and person that was there watching the story told me the story. Okay. He said there was an avrih kadosh. Mamash Avrich. Somebody learns Torah. All he does learn Torah Bauk Hashem. After almost 20 years of marriage, being a avr only, not working, just learning, just learning, just learning. Bauk Hashem, 15 kids, Hashem blessed them with kids, but he also blessed them with complete poverty. Now, when you guys think poverty, you're thinking maybe he only has one car from 1998. When you guys think poverty, he's like, yeah, maybe he only eats steak once a week. When an American thinks poverty, they're thinking, yeah, he's lower class, he makes 35,000 a year. The poverty that I'm talking about here for this Avrich Kadosh. Fifteen kids. The entire house is one and a half rooms. One and a half rooms. Fifteen kids. Every one of the pair of the shoes they have to the whole house opens its mouth. Opens its mouth. If you get what I mean, all of them have holes in it. The pants every one of them wears have multiple holes. You could put your legs through. Shtabach He lives. Of what the cola gives him. Doesn't work a day as far as regular job. Lurks, learns, 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 learns. Years. Once in a while, you know, he gets the panasah from the cola. What does he get panasah? Two thousand shekels a month. How much is two thousand shekels approximately? Five, six hundred bucks a month. Once in a while he gets a gift. Once a week he gets a gift. Once every couple of weeks he gets a gift. What? A bag of potatoes. A bag of tomatoes. Maybe a few apples. This is what Avreichim that we deal with. We talk to. We try to support. This is what they deal with. You guys living. You, you think you're you're poor. You don't have enough money. You guys are Rockefeller next to these people. Fifteen kids. Wife, Bauch Hashem tzadika Guys, tzadik learns. One and a half rooms. One day the wife says, "Okay, that's it. Ravlach, enough. Why? At this point with fifteen kids, we're at a point." And it's one and a half rooms where we're sleeping on top of each other now. Forget about sleeping next to it's a foof it's, it's a it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's everything. No, no. Now we're sleeping, we're each other's bunk beds. You have to go do something. You have to go, You have to get somewhere somewhere else. You have to do something. She goes, okay, me so look, Avrech. Avrech is Tamin, Kadosh. What does he know? He said, okay, so maybe I should study some Gemara Yerushalmi. Instead of the Bavli, maybe I should switch to the Instead of Babylonian Talmud, maybe I should study the, the Jerusalem Talmud. Maybe. What does he know? He, he knows Torah. What do you mean? What do I do? What do I do? She was no, no. You have to do something. Go pray. Go do something. Miskin, the guy in twenty years. He never got pressure from his wife. His wife was Ishak Tosha holy woman. She said, "Go learn. That's what I want you to do." But now, after all this time, now up to here. The here, like the kids have uh, 18 holes in their pants we need something they're sleeping on top of each other Okay, poverty is fine, but So a guy got to put me scan. He's like what am I gonna do? Okay, I- I'll go pray she goes listen Don't go pray like you've been praying for the last 20 years. It's not working Okay, okay. I'm gonna go to the hotel Me scan the guy goes to the hotel goes to the court of the Malawi the western wall true story goes to the court of the and he starts talking to Hashem, Shilam Aloh, Isaiah, and And he starts crying and crying and crying. 20 minutes, a half hour, an hour. Hashem, you know, uh, these are your kids. I'm not just my kids. We're partners. It's your kids. Not my kids. You just, I'm doing, I'm just, it's your kids, Hashem. You have to take care of them, Hashem. He's crying to Hashem, and he's crying to Hashem. And he's crying. An hour he's crying. An hour and 20 minutes. An hour and thirty minutes. An hour and, a, and to forty minutes. Two hours he's crying with non-stop. The book, the Talene book, is soaking wet. Unbelievable how many tears this man had. After two hours of crying, he feels like this. Somebody taps him on the shoulder. He's shocked. He looks behind. It's an American guy. He knew a little bit of English. And the American guy says, Excuse me, sir. Why are you crying so much? System. I'm sorry, so please, please leave me, leave me alone. Like talks to Hashem, be scared. He goes no, 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 sir, please. I want to know. I've been standing next to you for two hours. I've never seen anybody cry so much. What's so bad about your life? Why are you crying so much? Two hours? You don't run out of tears? How do you cry for two? He goes, please, leave me alone. Let me go. I'm talking to Hashem. Please. The guy was Akshan, my stubborn guy, American guy. He goes no, no, I have to know. What's so bad about your life? That you're crying so much, because you really want to know. Because yes, I want to know. He says the tears didn't start today. I'm crying for twenty years. I'm crying, twenty years of prayers. I'm crying. Why? I got fifth. All I know is I know a little bit of gemara. I know a little bit of Tosfor, I know a little shulchan aruch. I know a little Torah. I got fifteen kids. I have to feed all fifteen kids with five hundred dollars a month. Each kid gets 25 bucks for the whole month to survive. I have 15 kids. We live in a room, one and a half. One and a half rooms. The whole house, 15 kids are sleeping on each other. Each one has multiple holes in his head. Each one the shoes. Each one, the guy got kheshbone. Oh, he got the whole history of why he's crying. After he stops talking, he says, You have 15 kids? He says, Yes, Boko Hashem. He says, Can I see? What do you think it's, a uh, Luna Park? <laughs> no, please. I want to see. I want to see. Can I see it? Because, yeah, sure. You can see it. Can you take me now? Good <laughs> span. The, the rude person who take me now. Where is it? The zoo. Okay, but he's, he's kadosh. But he's scared. He's, uh, he doesn't know. Okay, he wants to see. He wants to see. I don't know. He takes him to his house. His wife sees, okay, I sent you to go pray. What would you bring? You brought me a guest. We can't fit 15. Now we have 16. I asked you to go pray. You bring me another person. Okay, I've said What can I do? Here, she gives him a little water and a plastic for a little baby. Here. Welcome to our house. The guy sees all the kids coming out, play. Two, 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 two. It's kids, everyone, top of each other, playing, happy. Yeah, learning Torah, doing. Yeah, he says to the he says, "Listen, I want to talk to you. Can we go outside?" Sure. He said, Listen. I want to be a partner with you." He goes, "What does it mean? What does it mean partner?" He goes, "Listen, I'm a multi-millionaire. I live in America. I don't have a single kid. I don't have one kid. I want to be partners with your kids." He goes, "What does it mean, partners?" He says, "I want to go now buy you." A five-bedroom house in the middle of Yerushalayim for all your kids and you I want to be partners because why are you making fun of me why are you making fun of me why why it's not enough I'm suffering already you saw me crying they make fun of me why are you making a joke out of me because no I'm not a joke no come on let's go go back to the driver the guy doesn't know what to do he goes listen uh, house in Yerushalayim we're not talking about uh, a couple of dollars it's five million million shekels million and a half dollars Saw some guy cry, you gotta buy a million. Where do you get this kind of money? Ooh, you bored with your life? He goes, Come on, do come with me. They go in a taxi, to do. They go to a brand new building to the developer. The developer is still selling the apartments to the people. They go, he goes inside to the office, everyone knows him. It's like, oh, people know this guy. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, sir, sir. He goes, listen, I want such and such apartment, fam. Please give me the keys now. Okay, sir. He writes a check on the spot for four and a half million shekels. He gives it to them. He says, here's the keys. He gives it to the Avrech. He goes, this is yours. The Avrech was so shocked and scared. So shocked and scared. What just happened? He was scared. He's going to change his mind. He didn't know what to do. He goes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Left. Goes to his wife here. we are moving? When? Now. The next day, he comes to the Kolel. He tells the Avrechim. He says, listen, guys, we have Hanukkah bite. With good news. i was like, oh, what good news? You got a bag of potatoes this week? No, 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 not the potatoes. Oh, well, you get tomatoes then? Better tomato two bags of tomatoes? No, no, not tomatoes. I got a house. I'm like, no, come on with a house, you know, Joker already in the morning. I got a house. It's like, what house? I want to have Hanukkah bite celebration tomorrow at my house, please. This is the address. So they didn't believe him, but they said, whatever, he's inviting. You. Let's just go just to see what he's talking about. There has to be something here. They all go, and all of their hearts hit their shoes. Mamas dropped. They see this house. Mamas, brand new house. Brand new, five million shekel, four and a half million shekel house. They're going into five bedrooms and Mamasha Castle. Unbelievable. So, how'd you get this house? You make $500 a month like the rest of us. How'd you get it? He tells them the whole story. They do the cheshbon, they do the accounting like an avrechta. I say, okay, if two, if, if two hours of crying is one house, we're going to cry four hours tomorrow. All of them do a class trip the next day to kota la All of them go to kota la the next day. And each one, they start crying. Hashem, shir le the same night. do do. do, 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 do he's crying. The other guy's not crying enough. No, no, come on, you're ruining the press for the rest of us. No, cry, no, do, do. They cry an hour, an hour and a half, two hours. Two and a half hours. Three hours they're crying. Nothing happening yet. No problem. Three and a half hours they're crying. One guy gets. He <laughs> thinks it's Taliawa Navi. Turns around excited. <laughs> a poor guy says, Staka, Staka, Staka. Destroyed everybody's morale. Everybody was so depressed after this. They didn't know where to go. To go to their rabbi, they can't. Why? He said we missed a, a day of the To go like this with this whole story, he's gonna tell us, uh, "I don't want you to come back anymore." But we have to. We have to ask somebody. We have to ask somebody. Why did this happen to us? He prayed here for two hours. You got a five million shekel house. We prayed three and a half hours. We got stockholder requests. Something happened here. Nothing happens for no reason. So they picked a rabbi that doesn't know and they went to him Rabbi was Tadiq and I told him the story and they're all mamash like really real upset he says listen there is there is a taillin is a in where the vida Melech Love Shalom, He says something extraordinary. David the Melech in Tevim number thirty-four. You actually say this in Berkat Amazon. He says, "Dorsha Adonai, lo achzuru kol tuf. Kfirim vashuv v'raavu v'edorsha Adonai lo achzuru kol tuf." He says in Tevim number thirty-four verse 11 David Amelich says young lions may want and hunger but those who seek Hashem will not lack any good. He says even a lion as strong as a lion is may starve to death. The lion is going to starve to death. But someone who seeks Hashem will never lack any good. He says he Went to the kotel seeking Hashem. Hashem showed up and He gave him what He deserves. You went seeking money. Hashem sent you. Somebody also seeking money. There's emuna and it's fake emuna. He went dorch Hashem. He went seek Hashem. He's looking for Hashem. Hashem. What what do I do? What do I do, Hashem? I'm not asking you for anything specific. I'm not asking for a house. I'm not asking for a wife, for a kid. I'm, not ask, I'm just asking, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What should I do now? You show me, babli, eh, tosfor. What, what what should I do here? Should I go to BeKneset? Should I stay home? Should I read Pasat Chabua? Should I go to the Shiu? What should I do? You're not, you're not telling Hashem how to run the world. You don't share Hashem. All I want is Hashem. That's it. All I want. David Melech, Kodesh Kodeshim, Mashiach comes from David Melech. has everything. What does he want? I just want Hashem. Yeah, but you have a wife, you have a this, you have I I don't want anything. I want Hashem. That's why. You want Hashem, you'll never lack a single thing in your entire life. If you want Hashem. If you want money, you want uh, this, you want this, you have a request for Hashem, you'll always lack. That's what the Gemara Masechet Sukkot says. Not a single person in the history of creation ever dies with half of what he desired. Why? You decide something other than Hashem. You decide something other than Hashem, you're not, never going to have enough of it. Hashem gives you 100, you want 200. If Hashem gives you 200, you want 400. You're never going to have enough of this material, and you're never going to die with even half of the material you want. If you want Hashem, always say, Gi-red. you're always going to have enough of everything. But that's the thing. We have to ask ourselves, are we those? Hashem? We ask for Hashem? Or we ask you for money? We like Hashem when He gives us money, or we like Hashem also when He doesn't give, give us money. That's what you have to ask. That's that's the tshuva, that's emuna, that's the foundation of the connection to Hashem that's real. Now this is not a fairy tale story. I know the people. Baruch Hashem, real stories, not fairy tales. And these people, we try to help as much as we can. Baruch Hashem, people try to help us so we can help them. The reality is that the things that most people complain about, most people complain about, is an embarrassment in comparison to what the people that have all the rights in the world to complain but don't complain. And that's why there was, my mom, God bless her, always tells me good stories. One time she told me a story just recently. She says, there was one guy sitting on top of a uh, bridge. Eating peanuts. Eating peanuts. And the bridge had the, you know, the bench, but he was sitting on top of the the area had a hole in it. Like under his feet, it had like a hole in it, like the grids. So you would throw all the all the shells. He would eat the peanut, throw the shells. Eat the peanut, throw the shell, eat the peanut, throw the shell because like a garbage disposal or whatever it was under him. And he's thinking to himself, ah Sham only gave me peanuts, my friend has Walnuts, my friend has cashews, my friend has this, my friend has this, he has this. He's thinking about what everybody else has, what everybody else has, what everybody else has, and I only have peanuts. All I have is peanuts, all I have is peanuts. And he's like, ah. And he looks down and he sees a guy waiting for the shell to hit his head. He says, Hashem, and eats the shell. Bohsem and eats the shell. Bo Hashem needs the shell. can a stint. Somebody always has less than you if you're not grateful for what you have It doesn't matter how much Hashem is going to give you you're never going to have enough If you're grateful for what he give you you're already rich Who's rich someone's happy with a share you're thinking about what he has and what he has and what he has and what he has and, he has and you're questioning Hashem not only are you never going to be happy, but you're also technically questioning the beret barach You're questioning the hand that feeds you, which already is stupid. So this Rabotari Karim is a little bit of Musar at the end of Musar to help us get through the week. Be'ezrat Hashem, next week we're going to continue with this Mishnah. Next week we're going to talk about wild beasts and why they come to uh, the world, why we're in the exile, why we live in America, why we live in the uh, Egypt of today, what happens in the world to get us to this place, what's good about it, what's bad about it. Bezat Hashem, this will help Amisa wake up a little more. More people do tshuva. more people convert, more people do the will of Hashem. And Bezat Hashem help us all do tshuva. Baruch Adonai Leolam, Amen VeAmen. Amen.